Welcome to the Commission Wrap-Up Show, hosted by yours truly. Nick's mom thinks I'm hot and he'll be joining me fresh off that breaking news. There are 10 weeks left in the regular season and the Ed Delahante division is jam-packed with 6-6 six and six teams. Nick somehow is only two games back from the division lead and Alicia's free fall has caused mass chaos. As noted before, I will be joined by the 4-8 and eight Nick Cambria and I will ask him all the hard-hitting questions that you've been dying to hear the answers to. And yes, we will discuss crunchy peanut butter in depth here on the Commission Wrap-Up Show that starts now. So I got here, I have Nick joining me fresh off of watching the Mets lose uh, at City Field today in the hot summer sun. Um, but before we even get started, Nick, how hungover are you after drinking a million beers in the sun and watching Zach Lillard shut down the Mets' bats today? Uh, I'm honestly feeling it. My body is uh, pretty dehydrated and my legs are cramping. It's, a, it's not a good feeling, but and it wasn't a good feeling was that while I was there. But, you know, the sun sobers you up pretty quick, thankfully. And- <laughs> Unfortunately, um, so the way it went down. You were listing some interesting things in the chat when you had your buzz going about what you love about every league member. Anything yeah. you want to add that you didn't get a chance to before you went into a sun and alcohol-induced coma? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was literally ready to, like, rant about everybody. It's so funny. Um, you know, you guys are all so awesome. And I was like, oh, I should say something about everybody because I like all you guys, obviously, you know. But um, I kept – I've become, like, an old man with my bladder, dude. And I ended up getting up to pee, like, 30 times before the game started. And my two cousins were like, what the hell? And I kept just leaving my phone on the freaking table. So, <laughs> um. No, I think my big one was uh, the one for Travis. I hope he laughed a little bit because uh, I'm dead serious. Like, there are certain days where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to text Travis and I'm going to ask him to tell me to drop Rodriguez. But then he does something that shocks me and it works. But um, I'm trying to think. It was so funny. Like, I was talking to even Travis at the draft. I was like, oh, like, I saw Greg's picture. And I was like, who the hell is that? Because he had a beard in the picture you chose. And Travis was like, oh, that's his COVID beard. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was so funny. Um I'm yeah, Greg had an awesome beard this time last year, 4th of July. He had a nice beard going. His hair was longer. Like, it was definitely <laughs> a COVID look for sure. He was crushing it. It looked amazing. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, Karen, I had a good one for because I was like, oh, my God. The first time I met Karen, I walk into a bar. She's eating a burger, drinking beer with a WWE belt around her waist. And I'm like, this is the coolest girl I've ever met. <laughs> right, then and, right then and there. <laughs> Um, yeah she was the champ representing for sure that's amazing oh yeah that and that's that's what i instantly i was like these people are awesome man so you know thanks to you guys for everything still and for still keeping it fun and even when i felt down and out with this thing it uh you know you all still made me feel in it so all right well that's a good transition to where we're going to go with this conversation so as we wave goodbye to week 12 and move towards week 13 now you sit at four and eight so what's the overall mood and feeling as you scratch a claw back into a playoff spot um, I still feel like there's moves to be made. I'm definitely not in like that seller's mode. I thought I would be in, to be honest right now. Um, you know, I'm having some difficulty in certain positions, but I'm pulling it up now. Um, but overall it's a good feeling, you know, and to beat Alicia, I know she's lost more than she's won over the last few weeks, but to get a win over her was really nice, especially after losing in week one to her. So, um, you know, my team has my hopes up. So, and I think I'm just looking really quick. Did I end with the most points? I did. So you did by cool. three points. So yeah. um, you're not just winning by luck. You pieced together three straight wins, and I've scored 132-plus in each of the last three outings. 
Mm -hmm. It seems like your team's on the rise. Do you feel like there's a significant amount of momentum building or is this sort of like a flash in the pan and you don't want to overreact and not sell and maybe not get the package that you could have gotten for some of the players? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to overreact. I mean, it's so nice to go from 0-7 or whatever it was to 3-8. and 8. So, uh, you know, that's huge for me. Um, like I said, I still need – there are definitely pieces in my lineup I'm looking at. Like, I, if people were to complain about something, you know, I would totally understand because when you look at my lineup, I have, like, three or four guys out of place every day, you know. Like, my first baseman is Mark Canna who plays – center field for the athletics every day who's now unfortunately out but you know Eduardo Escobar is the third baseman for the Diamondbacks and I have him locked in at second most days like you know so it's all over the place but um I would love to look at like the ERA per team because my team ERA is pretty damn low as of late you know Sean Manaya is riding just over a two ERA um Kershaw is throwing lights out lately Adam Wainwright is you know, an incredible streamer for me right now that I just can't let go of. Eovaldi has been doing great. It's nuts, man. Like the players I needed to show up like they did a few years ago kind of have been. Yeah, well, Kershaw was magnificent tonight against the Cubs. I'm not sure if you watched. Yeah, um, I had it on. And now at this point, he's pitched you to four straight quality starts. Mm -hmm. Do you consider him to be the key to your success down the stretch or do you think it's somebody else on your team? Um, I think, you know, Kershaw is one of those guys that, I expect like an average of, you know, five, five to six points every, every outing from, you know, I think it's the other guys like, uh, hold on, I'm just pulling up my matchup again now, you know, like somebody, Wainwright gave me seven again, you know, Manaya gave me five, um, you know, Rodriguez had two starts and put up 11, which was huge. And Bueller, uh, had a smaller outing than last week, but I think it's kind of like my all around going at it with this rate, to be honest. Um, I think Kershaw is a great centering piece. Um, I think he's doing things I didn't expect him to this year because I saw him get his ass kicked a few times early. But, you know, overall, he's just coming around with the Dodgers, and it's cool to see. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, honestly, this week is really critical for you because it can really decide where you go at the trade deadline because if you're playing Travis this week. So if you continue to score at the rate that you're scoring – you're going to have no problem beating Travis because he hasn't been putting up the same level of points he has. And I've been saying that week after week. And I know that everyone thinks I'm just hating on him, but it's a fact. It really, mm -hmm. at this point, his team's sort of slumping, but he's still continuing to get the wins. He lost this week, but sitting at nine, three, he's still the cream of the crop. But for yeah. you, if you win this week coming up, there could be a shot that you're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to be buying. But if you lose, you could sit back at four and nine and say, Maybe I want to get that package for Kershaw because I'm not going to keep him next year. I'm not sure what your plans are. Right. But it's sort of a really important week for you either way. And you kind of have to make the decision about what you plan to do pretty quickly because the deadline's approaching. No, I know. And that's the thing. Like I said, I mean, it's hard because, like, I want to package certain players certain ways. And they're just players that I don't think people are going to find valuable. Like, I'll be honest with you right now and let everybody hear it. If Jeff McNeil doesn't hit this week, he's gone, man. I'm not keeping him on my roster, you know. It's hard enough to watch him with the Mets right now, and I cheer for him when he comes up to the plate. But, uh, you know, even at four valid positions, he can play for me. Like, I look at the rest of my lineup, and I was like, you know, Eduardo Escobar, if he can stay healthy, like, that guy is staying at second base for me. And, you know, even Jorge Polanco, like, I thought I was going to drop him, and I kind of don't have to. If McNeil hits, then I'm going to have to start questioning which one of those two guys I'm going to drop. But, you know, like I said, he's a piece that I don't think anybody would find valuable right now, but if he becomes alive, then maybe he will be. Um, other than that though, like 
I really don't want to move my outfield around. Um, you know, my infield, I have obviously the issues at first base. I picked up your boy, Eric Hosmer. I know you picked him up at some point. Yeah, he was my um, first baseman for quite some time. I finally dropped him, mm-hmm. and I had I picked up Jesus Aguilar. And Hosmer's been good. It's just like I couldn't handle the fact that he wasn't playing some days. There's a lot of off right. days sprinkled in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a good player, but I had to say goodbye to him. But definitely a good pickup, and he's going to get hot eventually again. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then keeper-wise, I think I have two definite keepers. For sure. The whole third year thing became interesting because somebody talked to me about somebody they'd be willing to trade with. So if I kind of start losing this little streak I'm on, I think I have the move to make to have my, uh, my third of four keepers next year, if that's how it's going to go down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd still love to have another great starter like John Gray threw an awesome game the other day for me. And I really, really hope to see him do more like that. I'm pissed that the Rockies blew the game, but you know, it happens and but he had 10 strikeouts, and I thought that was great to see for his first outing in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so I'm looking at – so you took an approach, obviously, when you went down 0-6, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. You needed to either stay put and have faith in the players or shake it up, and you decided to completely shake it up. You've made, I think, four trades in under three months. And so far, mm-hmm. looking at every trade, it seems like you can make the case that you've won at least a piece of the trade. I mean, I guess the most right. – questionable trade would be the Bueller uh, and Acuna trade, but yeah. Bueller's been really good for you. Mm-hmm. And you've won the, I would say you won the Chapman Loriano trade because Chapman now is not even rostered. Yeah. And then on the other trade you made was with Bazada, with his, the Kenley deal for Jake, uh, the Kenley deal and your man, your man Mercedes for McNeil and McGee. Right. Maybe that would be a loss, especially if you're, I don't know if you're just frustrated with McNeil now, but if you decided to, drop and that's undoubtedly a loss because Absolutely. of losing but then again mcgee and jansen will wind up sort of offsetting each other jansen has the name mcgee has the numbers this year right exactly and that brings me to my next question for you um what is your early and initial feelings about the lindor and abreu deal uh do you feel like it sparked your offense a bit especially since lindor seemed to be getting hot i mean he's been on and off but seems to be getting better he's it's so hard, man. Like I almost, you know, I was so pushing for him to be a Met and like now that I have him on my team and then just watching him as a Met fan, sometimes like he just comes up to the plate and I'm like, there is no hope. He's swinging at trash and it's because he's trying to do something because he wants to be the team leader, which I love. Um, but to be honest, you know, like Jose Abreu was kind of like the guy I had as like my team captain, if you would say. Um, and I wouldn't put Francisco Lindor there right now, now that he Abreu was gone, but um, I just feel like Lindor being the everyday player, not that Jose Abreu isn't, is hopefully going to reach base once a day and then do something magical around the bases. He could have had a shot at two runs today instead of one. Um, but in all, sometimes he comes to the plate and I'm just like, I just don't know what to expect, you know, and it hurt yesterday. They had the bases loaded and he couldn't get the winning run in, but no big deal. It ended up working out for the Mets, but not for me, but still. Um He's somebody like I just keep putting my faith in him. Like today I brought his jersey and I was like, oh, I don't want to buy this right now, but I'm going to because I have faith in you. And I think you're going to be here for a long time and maybe you'll be on my team for a long time. But I'm not so sure of that yet. So I just have faith that he's going to come to full life, you know, sooner than later. And I just don't know when that's going to be. Absolutely. And I, and I think I know you weren't in the league, but maybe you've heard us talk about it. 
the year that Karen drafted Jose Ramirez number one overall, and deservedly mm-hmm. so. He he was the MVP of the year prior. Right. Was absolutely awful all year for the Indians. Complete trash. Yeah. Was not producing. But by the end of the year, his numbers sort of matched up to where it was because he got so, so, so hot at the end that it, he brought all his numbers up. And Lindor has a chance to do that. He's that level of talent. And especially, right, too, you got to also pair it with the fact that these pitchers are being held accountable for the foreign substances. So that's only going to help the batters. And it's absolutely. not a coincidence, I don't think, that Lindor's starting to hit again when pitchers are not allowed to use, you know, the spider tack or the pine yeah. tar, whatever they're using. So it's only going to help him as the – and when the weather gets hotter. To the ball's going to yeah. travel and he's going to have more home runs. So um, I made the deal personally, like looking back at it, uh, we both made the deal together and I've been yeah. very down on Lindor, but the fact that I had the excess of shortstops, I needed another player uh, for yeah. first base. So I think both of them right now, they're going in two different directions. Abreu who got hurt today, he got hit I by saw. Yeah. Um, but he's been slumping. So like his numbers were top hundred, but he really hasn't done much for the, like the last three weeks. And I think that's why you're willing to move him. And I understand that. Yeah. So um, I think this is sort of a wait and see deal. I think we're going to see really in three, four weeks, five weeks, we'll know maybe who got the better of the deal, but I think it might just be a wash because no, absolutely. it's helping us both in different ways. Yeah. 100%. It's so funny because like, I look at Abreu and, uh, you know, I looked at my team, I should say, and I was telling you one of the first times I was on the podcast, I was like, I don't want Mark Canna, but he needs to be in my starting rotation. And then I was like, you know what? Moving Abreu for a real shortstop, because not that Jorge Polanco isn't a real shortstop, but like he's not somebody we're going to put in the draft and take in, in, you know, an early or a late round, probably. I was like, to have a real shortstop would probably help me. And then it finally gives me the leverage to put Mark Canna in the lineup and, you know, then of course he got hurt, like I said, but still it's something. So my lineup is kind of like filling itself out again, which is really nice instead of moving around that second base shortstop third base position. So. Yeah. And sometimes you have to find a way to make yourself put it in the lineup. I would think of the, uh, the money ball scene um, when they want, uh, I forget what the, who the, the Chris, Hem- the Chris Hemsworth characters, no Chris Pratt character is that they're trying to put this guy in the lineup, but they keep uh, putting Carl's Pena in the lineup. Right. And I think Billy Bean just trades Carlos Pena. So yep. they force him to put him in the lineup. So it's sort of like you, you trade a Bray and you force yourself to put Mark Hanna in the lineup. Exactly. Uh, so I definitely think the move is, is good for you. And, and if you didn't have an elite shortstop and you're getting Lindor on the right, he, he can't be worse than he's been. So Absolutely. that's the thing. I don't think he's going to, you know, I, I was literally pissed in the chat yesterday. You guys also, and I know I sound nuts, but when I was like, who goes 0 for 5? Like, that's bad, bro. Like, you probably faced two or three pitchers and you didn't get on base on. And, you know, it's just, it's sad because I look at his, you know, his batting average, I think going into today was 215. And I looked over at my cousin and I was like, what the hell, man? That's bad. But that's at least over 1 for 5 average. So to see it and then yesterday him go 0 for 5, I was like, this is not pretty. Yeah, I mean, he's so frustrating to watch because you know the talent he has and haven't been playing yep. fantasy baseball for a while. Mm-hmm. Lindor is someone that is super talented, and you know he can do much more than he's doing right now for the Mets. And I think he'll get there, and I think mm-hmm. he's pressing a lot because there's a lot of pressure on him. And yeah. he wants to keep the smile and wants to be positive, but you know it's getting to him when he's being booed. So I'm hoping Absolutely. that as time goes on, that the pressure sort of relieves itself as he just starts to hit. Because, I mean, the home run thing, he didn't have, I think at some point, like late in the year, he had, well, I think late May, 
He only had like two home runs. And that's yeah. gotta be weighing on you. This dude is a guy who hits 25, 30 home runs a year. So right. he has to be thinking like eventually I have to get going, but you know, it's getting real late. So yeah. I think he'll be fine. And I think both I think the deal will be sort of even for the both of us. But especially, I mean, Brayu thank thankfully had the negative x-rays on his knee, so he's fine, but I'm sure he'll be possibly on the IL with a contusion. So I'm going to have to figure out a, a guy and pick up somebody to take his spot for a little bit. But um, right. right now I think you're winning the deal, but moving back towards um, you and your team. So here's some perspective for you. At one point you were own five. Alicia mm-hmm. was five and oh, you right. now sit two games back from her as you've won four of your last six and she's dropped five of six. So what are your thoughts of her slide as of late? So taking the perspective and talking about her team. Like, how would you feel if you started off five and oh, and now you're six and six? Yeah, I mean, I'd be nervous, but when I look at, you know, the bulk of us, you know, the amount of people that are six and five and five and six, I mean, that's the huge thing besides then you have Travis and then you have me at the bottom, you know? So, um, but the downhill slump, I think I'd be nervous, especially like, you know, as everybody else might be coming up, you know, like I'm starting to kind of climb the ladder, which could end any moment, you know, I'm fully prepared for that to happen, thankfully. But um, especially like within our division, I mean, you know, who played each other this week? Yeah, I just think at this point, she, I think the all-star break will be bigger for her. This might be a little crazy to, you know, you might disagree with me, which is fine. I think the all-star break is going to be bigger for her than it is for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think there's, she has a lot to prove. Yeah. Um, but there's been a lot of chatter in the chat. I'm not sure if she's seen it because there's sort of been, I don't know if she's reads it from afar and just doesn't. Yeah participate but do you agree with my assessment as of as of late about her lack of attentiveness and i think it will eventually cost her a playoff spot i, I said that in the podcast last week like for example leaving wander in her na spot muncie was on the yeah. il last week she yep. left all those points on the bench today yeah um it wouldn't have been enough to beat you right but i think it's a huge issue going forward do you agree with that i do i mean i guess like with wander Franco, you never know what he's gonna do but to me like you know, I was so excited to watch that game on Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday when he came in and, you know, he made his way around the bases the first time up. I was like, this is exciting. You know, this is exciting. Like it was something that I figured she could have rolled the dice with um, looking at her lineup. I don't know what other kind of moves she made this week, but you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know, man, it's hard. It's hard judging somebody else's team, you know, cause like I said, like, you know, people push you to make moves and then people push you not to. And, Again, thanks to Travis, I pushed McCann, and my team has just gone up since. But, um, you know, it's re- it's really hard, I think, for Alicia because, like, you look at her lineup, and they're all pretty scary names, and they're people who are at the top of the league in their averages and their hits and their stuff around the bases. But I think those could be good trade pieces. I just don't know where she would need help. But the attentiveness is definitely a little nuts. Like, I had a little bit of help, to be honest, putting John Gray in that day. Um because I thought I wouldn't be able to off the IL, but I realized they didn't have to make another kind of move. So it worked out for me. Um, but I mean, overall, it, it, it's so hard because looking at her team, I'm like, you know, I want half these guys, but. Um, well, yeah, for example, I mean, the thing is, if it was a strategic move to leave Wander on the bench, I get that. But yeah. She didn't even, she didn't take him off the NA spot because she wasn't, I'm sure she was aware it was happening, but she didn't yeah. make the appropriate move until the day after. So with our league, you sort of have to be a step ahead with all these guys coming off the IL, being called up. And somehow, sometimes Yahoo doesn't give you the notification and you right. just have to know yeah. and make the appropriate move. So 
I don't think it was a strategic move. I understand not starting a rookie fresh off of AAA. Yeah. It is Wander Franco. He's supposed to be sort of a one of a kind type of player, franchise elite type of um, infielder. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, the Max Muncy thing on her IL, people yeah. have been begging for him to be traded. I'm not going to mention any names, but I know for right. a fact, I've talked to other managers that are right. looking to trade for Max Muncy and she's been mm-hmm. hesitant, but it's like, yeah. if you're hesitant to trade him, but you're not even activating him on the IL. Like there were guys on yeah. the roster she could have dropped. I know she dropped a reliever today. I think she dropped Barlow. Uh-huh. But she could have dropped Nate Lowe, Brandon Lau. Those guys could yeah. have been dropped and put Max Muncy, who, to be honest, is in one of the best lineups in baseball. He's an elite yep. producer. It just it made no sense to me. Um, and I think eventually that's going to cost her. I think there's been some bad luck in between this like losing streak, but some of it is just mismanagement or not managing at all because yeah, if no. you leave points in the bench it's eventually going to catch up to you and you're one of the more active managers we have in the league now which is the ultimate compliment so Thank you're you. making the appropriate moves and it's almost no match for someone who's not making any moves for the week so right. you know if, especially that pitching staff she doesn't have a deep rotation she's not streaming people so mm-hmm. if you're streaming players or you have a deep bench of pitchers and you make the wrong moves for the offensive players. Like today, I know she was out of it, but she left points in the bench and there were guys not starting. So, yeah. you know, those are the moves that will come back to bite you. And that's that's the result you have, losing five right. of six and erasing what was an amazing start, probably the best start she's had. So yeah, now she's, gonna, she's in the thick of it and she's going to have to fight her way through. Um, yeah. You know, I'm going to be talking about it a little bit when I do my own little segment about the playoff spot, but she went from, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, being the number one overall seed. Now she's sitting at six and six tied at number four, but only because of points tied yeah. with me, me, Devin and Bazada. Right. And be- be- behind Jimmy after all that too. Now Jimmy has a better record than her. Yeah. So, you know, not to, obviously we don't want to talk about her team this whole time, but it's just mm-hmm. like, you guys are two ships in the night passing each other. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Like I was literally saying today with myself, I was like, I wonder what the power rankings are going to look like in a couple of weeks again. You know, like, will I move up and like, who will really start to move down? And, you know, so I think losing to me, not that I'm trying to like down myself, but I was like, I think losing to me is kind of, uh, you know, it's the bullet you have to bite. Yeah. So before we move on from like, like mismanagement stuff, do you think there should be any punishment or could there be any punishment for inattentiveness to roster management? I don't know what it looks like. But do you think that there we should like look at something like that? I don't think. I mean, thinking of like a punishment for it, I don't think there could be anything. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I know this might be kind of off the beaten path, but I think the biggest thing is going to be when we look at the IL spots again. Like you know, I've been utilizing them more, but you know, when I look at some teams' rosters, some people are up there on that IL spot, and it's like, oh, if we go to six, if we go from six to five or whatever, you know, I think it's going to get kind of interesting because there are going to be some players moved that other people are going to want and have the IL spots for. So I think that'll be the biggest thing for punishments is that it's going to force people to make some moves. But um, I mean, for mismanagement, I don't really, I feel like it's self-inflicted, you know, you take the L and you know, you, you go into the next week and you hopefully try to improve it, you know? Yeah. Yahoo provides like at least some, some level of oversight for that, where like they won't let you make another move until, you fix whatever guy is in the wrong spot, right. IL or NA spot that isn't there appropriately. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, Yahoo, if you're not making moves for the week, that guy can sit in the spot and it's sort of strategic at that point. 
Right. You know, you, you could leave like, so maybe it was strategic for her. She didn't want to use a roster spot or drop anybody. Right. You could leave a guy in the aisle spot that shouldn't be there. I think Yahoo should prompt you to do it. My idea that I had said, and I don't think this is anything we could, and it's not a level of, it's too much of something on me where I'd have to figure out a way to punish people. But like, say you leave a guy in the, in like the NA spot. So say like Wander Franco that day mm-hmm. that she had him in the NA spot that he shouldn't be there. Um, and she like had enough notice and it was like clearly that she should have made a move. Yeah. I was saying that potentially you should lose those points for the week. Yeah. And see, I, 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 I'm not against that, but I know it's not possible because then someone could say, well, I didn't know that. Or what happens when like someone gets surprised, sent off the IL and they yeah. start and say they have a complete game, which has happened to all in, of us. Right. It leaves us in a sticky spot. So it all comes down to, it's my perspective. And I guess there's like the level of like, someone could just be, you know, they can make the excuse of like, I didn't know because it wasn't, the information wasn't present to me. And I can't possibly right. manage 10 rosters like that. So yeah, no, it's just right, frustrating exactly. to me because as we get down the line and I don't want to like, I don't want to rant about this, but I, you know, I feel like it is something we have to talk about is it does affect everybody because if someone's not setting the roster, not managing the roster appropriately, the playoff spots get affected by that because, yep. you know, someone wins that wouldn't have won then that affects who makes the playoffs. And that was like, that happens every year. And if it's done by choice, you're starting the wrong guy and make the wrong choice. I get that. But if it's just like, I ignored my roster because I was down on my team and I didn't start the right guys or didn't start the guys that were playing or I left a streamer on the bench. That's something we can't have, especially with everyone that's so competitive and everyone puts so much effort into this. We can't have a playoff spot or a championship, God forbid, established from that inattentiveness so right i don't know all right let's move on from that i'll get more into that by myself and you okay. know, i'll rant i rant myself into a, a tizzy later uh, um the ed delahante division is all six and six and you are two games back from the division lead do you feel that winning the division is a possibility or are you just still taking week to week at this point i'm still riding the week to week thing i mean winning the division i don't know but i mean looking at the point totals, I think I'm going to move up in points, which is pretty cool, even though I'll still be sitting in last at four and eight. But um, I think the biggest thing is like, I think I still, I think some people still viewed me as a threat. You know, I remember last time Devin was on, he was saying that when my team is going, they're going to be going. And, um, you know, I think now like people, you know, when they first me, it's going to kind of, not that I think anybody would ever not like put in their best lineup, but I think now it's going to come down to like, Oh, like need my team to produce a little bit more, you know, cause I've been on a roll. So um, you know, just hoping to keep riding the wave, to be honest. Uh, I have, who do I play next week? You said it, De- um, Travis, which would be a yep. huge, another huge step. And then, you know, it's just funny because I view everybody as not as the same, but, you know, it's, you know, versing Travis. Also, I'm like, oh, damn, like, all right, like winning this week would be awesome. But then I could lose next week to, you know, somebody in the lower ground. But it doesn't, that's the thing. Like, it's all the same, you know. Yeah, 10-team league, the parity is so there's so much talent on every roster that right. even when you were zero and six, you were still putting up points and your team was still doing th- I mean, maybe you're just losing by in, in another league, your team would be the best team in the league. Let's just say that. So saying like a 12 yeah. team, league, 14 team league, your team would be absolutely the best team in the league. And right. it just goes a lot. It says a lot about the, the parity in our league and the, the fact that anyone can beat anyone on any given Sunday. I know Devin kept making that comparison yep. with like football, but it's true. And yep. any given week, any team can beat each other. I really don't think there's a favorite right now. Even when Travis is nine and three, I think 
anyone could beat anyone and it wouldn't shock me. It's not like you beating Alicia this week wasn't shocking to me. I didn't go, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Yeah, right. It just is like your team is really, really talented, as is hers. Yeah. So just anyone exactly. can win. No, absolutely. Um, out of curiosity, I'm looking at your last couple point totals and compare them with Travis. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, like I said last week, you or the last three weeks, you scored 132 plus. And the last three weeks for Travis. So this week he had a really down week. I think he scored uh, 102 points, which is definitely not a good week for him. The week before yeah. that, he scored 132. And the week before that, 118. So the last couple of weeks, you would have beaten Travis. So yeah. this is another week. Like, you go out there and do exactly what you've been doing. You could be looking at, all right, now I'm five and eight. And yeah. Now I'm climbing up and I'm three games away from being 500. And that's the ultimate goal. I know we, we've been talking about this. You were on the podcast. You were man enough to come on here and face the music when you're 0-6. Yeah. And now you get to reap the benefits of being uh, as you climb up and you're winning, you deserve to be on here and talk about how good your team has been. So that's kind of um, the good part about um, seeing it through and like letting the process play itself out. Yeah. My, uh, it's so funny because I had said not, not the first time I was on, but the last time I was on, I was like, I want my team to give me like a, uh, you know, an average number of points per day. And I'll finally admit that number was 16. So I was like at 16 when I multiplied it, it was like a hundred and I think it was only like 112 or something like that. And I was like, all right, that's not a lot of points. And my team has like super surpassed that lately. But I was like, at the time we were all scoring pretty low. And I was like 112 for the week could pull me out a couple of wins. You know, now I'm sitting at 147, 132, 137, like, I'm like, all right, now that I'm doing better than that, even though I still look at some of the other teams' numbers who are always up there, I'm like, you know, these are the types of numbers I'm going to need to put out for the rest of the season. And, you know, I made a couple of little moves here and there, and I was streaming. I mean, I'm streaming pitchers left and right every day, I feel like now. But, you know, I'm happy to say that I went from being that guy who streamed pitchers to keeping guys like Wainwright and John Gray is going to stay on my lineup now. Um yeah, Ottavino might be there for a little bit, you know, like, so I'm kind of happy that I'm not just add, drop, add, drop, add, drop, even though I know I have added and dropped a ton of players, you know, but I've rolled the dice on some random ass pitchers that I've never even heard of. And then I've, you know, put my faith in others too. And it's just paying out for me right now, you know, like um, taking Ty, uh, Tylon, Taylon from the Yankees the other day, like that was huge. And I watched that game and I was like, I'm a Met fan, but this is a great game. And he threw so well and it gave me something to root for. And then, I had, uh, what is this, Jose, uh, uh, Johan um, Aviedo. Like, I picked him up and was hoping for the best, and it didn't turn out in my favor. But, you know, that's what I mean by, like, sometimes you just got to work the streamline and you got to just put your faith in some of these nutcases who might only go four innings, you know? Yeah, I think the streaming is the lotto ticket mentality. And you said you made a lot of moves, and I'm looking at the moves now. So just to give you kind of the top teams that made moves, I've made 87 moves so far this year. Yeah. The second most would be Devin at 75. Mm-hmm. And then you're all the way down at 53. So you're not really oh, wow. up there at all. And the, the least amount of moves was Alicia and Karen tied at 24. So mm-hmm. there's really no rhyme or reason to see like who has the most moves is the team that has the most wins. So yeah. it's sort of interesting to look at that. But I think over the course of time, I mean, it also can be you talk about teams that have a lot of injuries. Obviously, you're making a lot of moves to fix those injuries. Yeah. But I'll, admittedly, I am streaming players. But it's not just like throwing shit out of wall unless I'm really down. Like, say I'm down. Like, I was down a lot of points this week. So I yeah. picked up some some guys that I wouldn't have streamed, and it worked out this week. 
Right. And maybe the Framber Valdez thing helped me out. But also that guy Lauer today pitched really well against yep. San Diego for the Rockies. So sometimes like if you do the research and you look at lineups and look at trends and, you know, the offensive numbers and stuff, that's the fun part for me. So it's not even yeah. so much just luck. It's like just finding that gem of like, let me just get five points from this guy. Yeah. And I could be sitting there and just adding a little bit of points to my, my total for the week. And that could be the difference. Absolutely. Um, so who do you think is the best team in the league right now? What do you think makes them better than you? Is it just pitching or is it offense? You know, this might look a little nuts right now. I think the biggest person we should all be afraid of is Jimmy. Um, I think, I mean, even with Devin, with the record, I just think Jimmy's team is just thriving. Um, he's got one of the best catchers in baseball. His team all around is just doing things every day. And then you look at his lineup and you're like, oh, these are all pretty decent names. And as you keep going, you just get good names. And then you look at his injury list and you're like, damn, those are like, I'm looking now like Corey Seager, Eloy Jimenez, Alex Bregman. Like those are three great players that are hurt. Like if Jimmy had them, you know, it's a game changer. Um, you know, he's scoring 140 points a week. Like that, like Jimmy has been scary for the last six weeks at this point. So it's not just a flash in the pan, as they say, he's been consistently good and sitting at seven, five, Seven and five, I think he's really, but he's right. He's right there on Travis's tail at nine and three, yep. and to get a lock and change in the next, you know, eleven weeks, he yeah. could be sitting there ahead of Travis. It just is a matter of Travis maintaining. I mean, we see how fast the lead can dissipate when you look at Alicia, how she was five and zero, oh, now she's back mm-hmm. at five hundred. Yeah, but what what makes Jimmy better than you? Like, what do you think he has that you don't? Uh, you know, I <laughs> as crazy as sounds, I think there's experience. You know. I think the coolest thing with this is that experience showed the role early in the season. And, you know, I hope that people could agree with me that as the season has gone on, I've gained experience and knowing where to put guys, when to put them in, when to keep them out. Um, so I think that's the thing is that early on, if I had that, I think I would have ended up with maybe like, you know, I lost that one game to Devin by a point, like maybe then and there I could have used that to, you know, score that extra point and you know I lost by a couple points to I want to say it was Mike the first time I played him and then you know even when I first played Jimmy I had like the that miraculous Adam Wainwright almost complete game shutout but I think that's the big thing is that experience it hurt me in the draft and it hurt me in the first five or six weeks of the season and you know now like my team is obviously doing the work for me but you know making those little moves quicker and sooner than later have uh, been the difference for me, you know, and not being afraid to make these trades and everything. So I think that's the biggest thing is that the experience hurt me early. And I think next year in the draft, it'll be different. It'll help me out a lot more, um, which I'm very excited for, you know, the year isn't over, but um, like I said, I think you and Jimmy right now are really on a rise and I'm thankful I'm not really in your division, but (laughs) I mean, who knows what'll happen in the playoffs and if God knows if I'll make the playoffs, but you know, that's the ultimate goal right now is just to make the playoffs. So Right. All you do is got to get in. And I've been talking about this with a lot of different managers in the league that this feels like one of those years that someone's going to get in and get hot at the right time. There's yeah. a few years ago uh, the Devin made the playoffs at 10 and 12 under 500 kind of just right. like stumbled his way in and he won the championship. Right. Exactly. And I was so, thinking like it happens if, you know, Travis can make the playoffs and then in the first week of the playoffs have a week like he's been having and that's it. And that's, it's crazy to think about it like that, you know, to think looking at his team now, and where he may end up and then to be a first seed and then to lose to a bottom like it, but it can happen, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the big thing is that those two top seeds, so winning division is very important because you get a first round buy. So right. if you get that buy, then you really can like, all right, 
sit there and say, all right, if I, I just have to have a good next week, but it's also kind of painful because I've had some opportunities where my team goes off. If I say I won the division, I won, I won the division, I believe two last year, or the year before my mm-hmm. team was crazy good in my bye week. So, cause you could see it adds your score still on the page. Yeah. And then the week after it had such a down week and it's just, as like, it's, is just the cards I was drawn and my players yeah. didn't show up that week. Yeah. The year I had just evaporated into thin air because no one showed up. Right. And, you know, even, even more of a history lesson too, when I was in the championship 2012 against Pizzotta and he'll always say this, but the, what changed the matchup was I had Jose Fernandez in the championship and he died like that. Yeah. Week. yeah. And I'm not saying that would have changed everything, but he could have had a complete game shutout. He was that good. He died right. that week. Like, you know what I mean? Like anything yeah. can happen in fantasy yeah. baseball nuts, and nuts. it can change. It could change things. And who knows who's going to get hurt. Who's going to get hot. Who's going to become a, a reliever. Like which player on the, like maybe the Rays just decide to make like Ryan Yarbrough, a, their closer. Like you don't yep. know what they're going to do. It just is like, look, look at Jesus Lazardo from Bizarra. He was like one of the top prospects for the athletics. Now right. he's a useless bullpen piece that they won't even put in the rotation. So yep. It's crazy. It's anything as week to week, as you know, it just changes. And that's why it's been like really awesome on this journey doing the podcast. Cause my first year doing the podcast every day. I mean, every uh-huh. week right. that year I'm able to really kind of see the progression of teams and I'm looking more into everyone's roster and seeing the progression of where it goes and how things change from week to week. Yeah. And um, not that, not that anybody doesn't remember this, but you know, like COVID can always still somehow be a factor, you know, like, you never know when that team is just all like, you know, you could be in the playoff week and your team gets COVID and you're like, yeah, shit, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. That could be a big, a big problem. Someone was exposed. that isn't vaccinated. That's still the protocol in place. And you could yep. be missing 10 days right there. And there goes your best player potentially, or your best starter in the championship week. And that's something that, you know, there may be an asterisk on the loss, but a loss is a loss. And yeah. so, um, all right, so some of the, the bookkeeping stuff. What are your thoughts on adding the extra keeper and having a more dynasty feeling for the fame? We touched on it before, but if you could elaborate yeah. more on how you feel about it. I mean, I like the one more. Um, I probably wouldn't like more than that, but you know, I'm still the new guy, so I don't truly like voicing my opinion about it totally. Um, you guys have obviously been doing this and been working the keeper thing. You know, I don't know if you've always had three, but it'll definitely make my keepers more interesting because like I said, I have two locked in, I think. I have at least one locked in. Second one is a probable, but, um, my third one is, uh, you know, I like, I really like the idea of the three-year guy a lot. And I think it changes the draft a little bit too, because some people might not end up, excuse me, not end up with a player like that, but, um, no, I really like the idea. I do like the dynasty feeling like, I think I have a dynasty player on my team that, you know, I'd love to see play for my team every single year and kind of surrounded with. So that's uh, something I'm always looking forward to kind of like how Devin mentioned, early in the year, you know, he thought about who's the one player that I'd really like to have. And it was, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. And, you know, like to me, I was like, oh, that's actually really cool. You know, I didn't want Ronald Acuna Jr. to start, of course, because I'm a jerk. But um, to me, I just think, it, like I said, I think it keeps it exciting. It kind of gives you hope every single year. And it kind of gives you like that little cushion and like, you know, good feeling in the back of your head. And I'm like, all right, I have this guy who's going to be good. Because when you look at who everybody kept this year, nobody kept anybody bad, you know. Hundred percent, and I think a big thing too is we don't want to sacrifice the draft as well. We want the draft to still be something that is a way to shape your team. Like, say you have you made mistakes in who you kept, and all, we don't want all the great players being kept. 
So with right. the restrictions placed on them, like you only can keep this guy under five years, under three years, right? a player that is an NA player. I think there will be enough good players that the draft will still be meaningful, but also have a franchise feel where you're really having to manage like a guy who was a prospect, you keep him all the way through and you have to be strategic about who's, who's on your roster and it has yeah. sort of a franchise feel. And I, I want that. And I think, yes. I think everybody has the same feeling. So it seems that we're going to be getting to that point. And I think we'll have more of a conversation at the all-star game when we go to Howard's on, I think it's July 12th. We'll all sit there and we'll have a conversation about it. But I think we're moving towards that direction because I haven't heard any sort of opposition to it other than people just want the draft to still be as meaningful as it's always been. Right. No, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, I don't think that adding another keeper is going to, I don't think it's going to truly impact the draft. Like people are like, you know, I want a first round pick this year, you know? Um, so that's my thinking of it is like that people are still going to want those draft picks. You, you don't know who everyone's going to keep. And then that list comes out and it's like, Oh, you know, now you're in a good spot, you know, with great players available still. Like, I don't think we're ever going to go to a draft where there's no less than five first round picks or anything like that. So I think it'll keep the draft interesting no matter what. I totally agree with you. Um, so what has been your favorite part of the league thus far? And is there something you'd like to change? Maybe it's a stat category. You think something's worth too little or too much. Uh, my favorite part is easily you guys, the group chat, the podcast, um, the, you know, and the excitement, it brings me back to the game. Like I keep saying, you know, I, I sound like a broken record, but you know, it, it's so nice having the MLB TV app and, you know, I watch daily, I'm watching games and players and I'm watching players that aren't even on my team. So I just find them so exciting. You know, I'm becoming such a Tatis guy and I just love watching him play. Um, Anything I would change? I don't think so, man. I mean, I was confused early on because I forgot. I didn't realize the 24 hour, uh, the, to like add and drop, but I truly learned how much I like that, to be honest. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I think in all honesty, like, like I, like I said, I'm not even kidding. I mean, I'm a huge hater of the NFL. I'll always admit that, but, um, you know, it, this almost makes me not want to play fantasy football, you know, and <laughs> dude, I feel is, the same way. It's always, such like a buzzkill when the baseball season's over. I do play fantasy football and I do enjoy it, Okay, but it's definitely nowhere near like the level of intensity because I truly believe fantasy football is luck. And I think baseball is skill because you are managing a team on the full year and football mm -hmm. is just like, it's one day a week and I like yep. either they're playing or they're not. It's not really managing your team. It's just yep. kind of like finding the right running back that gets hot. Or like when someone gets hurt, you put in the waiver claim for their yep. backup and you have yep. this guy. Like um, I love the baseball format much better. And I think it's more conducive to fantasy wise. And I think having a big piece of this and like what I really wanted to do when we first started league in 2012 was having everything have a tangible value on, on the field. And I think at this point there's been, almost everything you can watch in a game has tangible value. So you're watching yep. a game and you have a player, everything that happens like has some effect on your matchup, which I always wanted because that's what makes fantasy football cool. Every time yeah. someone, someone touches the ball, it affects your fantasy team. And it's just like, it's breathtaking, but this is happening seven days a week. And yeah. it's, it could be exhausting, which I try not to like, you know, during the season, I wound up watching, I don't even know how many baseball games and it's so mm -hmm. stressful as you're probably seeing too, when you're losing. Yeah. I get so mad. Yeah. And, but that's awesome. Cause you get so happy when you watch it the other way around. So right. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I, I love it so much, obviously.
And that's my big thing too, is like, you know, you watch a guy play a football on Sunday, like he only has Sunday, you know, you can watch, you know, Francisco Lindor go 0 for 5 on Monday. And then the next day he could go three for four or something, you know, it's just such a nice turnaround. And it's just something where I think the everyday change of it brings the excitement. So it's like, all right, you had a bad day, but other players on the team picked me up and, you know, we can see what you bring tomorrow to the table. Yeah, so any fighting words for Travis, who obviously sits at nine and three at the top of the league as you're ready to do battle with him next week? I, no, no fighting words. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny how, like, early on, like, he's not a trash talker. I wouldn't say that. But, you know, he said some funny things about my team and my players and my trades. And, you know, I'm just kind of hoping maybe this, you know, maybe this week will help him bite his tongue a little bit from that. But overall, like I, like I said, it was it's all in fun, you know. So, of course, there's no he's been super it. quiet as of late because I think his team's yeah. been down. But in this slump he's been having, I guess the last five weeks, he only has like one loss or two losses. So exactly, no, exactly. You, know, you got to give him credit there. He's managed his roster well, and we'll see how it affects him. A big thing for him is like got to be concerning with that with the stuff with Cole and the fact yeah. that Cole struggled today, and mm-hmm. his success seems to be tied to the spin rates. Spin rates tied to the spider tack. I was gonna say it earlier, fight. man. I- yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I'm a Yankee fan. The Yankees gave him a lot of money, $324 million. So I'm hoping it works out, and I'm hoping that he's the player that they they signed. And listen, he pitched well a few a few outings back, but he got blown up by the Sox at Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Travis also traded Woodruff prior to this, yeah, I don't know. Like That all of a sudden makes his pitching staff a little bit thinner than you maybe, maybe would have thought with Nola struggling. And yeah, I don't know. Um, but he sits at nine threes in uh, undisputedly the best team in the league. Right. Um, but I do, I am going to point out though, when his team doesn't perform well, because he is the first person to talk shit. I mean, he talks, he's, he actually, <laughs> he said in the group chat, are you going to get above 500 yet? Kamish? I'm yeah. trying, dude. I'm trying. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a grind. But I would take my team over his any day. And Travis, I'm telling you right now, you don't, Nick, you don't want to <laughs> talk trash to him. I'll talk trash to you right now, Travis. I honestly, I would take my team. Man to man instead of your team. So <laughs> six and six. I'm riding my guys high right now. These guys, I'm doing, I'm doing battle with them. Uh. <laughs> um, all right. So you've made a lot of moves thus far, but do you think yeah. you'll be a buyer or seller come the deadline and at the all-star game festivities at Howard? So those are our winter meetings. Yeah. So you're going to be there. Everyone's going to be wheeling and dealing. You've made a lot of moves. You think you've kind of capped out of the moves or are you going to be looking to make more? No, I'm still looking to make moves. Like, you know, I have a few spots I'd love to change up, and I think I've got some players at good value, but my big thing is going to be, you know, moving players for equal value. You know, that's my go- that's what I want it to be. You know, if I lose, like, the next two weeks, then, yeah, I'm probably going to 100% go into sell mode and see who wants who and, you know, make it work for me where I get, like, better picks next year and stuff like that, so – do you think we should move the deadline up? I know Devin was kind of blowing the blowing the horn on that one, saying we should have the deadline be closer to that um, that fest the All Star Game festivities because the deadline's pretty late. Do you think it should be earlier? I it's my first year in, man. To be honest, I don't have a great answer for that because I don't I don't know. I don't know how it's affected things in the past with you guys. So um, it's actually I, earlier than it used to be. It used to be the 26th. I move it to the 12th. I think the earliest you can make it is like July 31st, which okay. I'd be okay with doing. Like I'd be okay with moving it to there. But th- my only issue is that I want to be providing enough time for the sellers to decide their sellers. Yeah. Because we would have, who knows where we're going to be out July 31st. 
Right. There could be teams that would have sold two weeks later if they were given the chance to. Yeah, so exactly. the ultimate goal is to have sellers be able to be the sellers that they want to be and not right. rob them of the opportunity to do that. And I think the August 12th deadline at that point, I think that would be like week 16 or week 15. You should probably mm-hmm. know. Yeah. You know, either no, you're going to exactly. be going for it or not. Exactly. Two weeks ago, I would have told you I'm a seller. You know, I made a few trades and people called me out on it. And then I was like, ah, I'm not, you know, and then I got, I got a ton of trade offers. You know, everybody wanted a few players and I was like, you know, I can't give up certain players for not that I'm going to say next to nothing because people were making great offers, but you know, even you and me talking about Lindor and Abreu, you know, we kind of tried throwing other players in and then you were like, what about straight up? And I was like, I like straight up. That's a good call. You know, I'm not against that. So yeah, and you gave me time I mean, to two, think about it, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> right. And two elite players are just like traded like that. And it sort of was an easy deal. It's, it's very rare. And this right. year is sort of bizarre that so many elite fantasy players are being moved around. Like I've never yeah. seen this in my life. And, and, and you really can't say who got the better deal on any of these moves. Right. I mean, aside, even from like the, the Bueller and Acuna standpoint, you made mm-hmm. the right move for your team because yeah. you needed, you needed an ace. Right. And, you know, obviously Acuna is the best player in baseball right now, fantasy wise, but Walker Bueller is like providing you some stability in a rotation where you didn't have any. So right. even that move, like, the trout move too we talked about like trout's still still not back yeah but we're all all these guys tatis trout turner um acuna uh even abreu and lindor pretty elite players that are being moved and who knows who else will be moved at the deadline so it's been really shocking to me about all the moves that are being made because it's usually pretty quiet until Uh i mean around this week next week but there's been a lot of moves that have happened so i'm curious what happens at the deadline yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting. I think we'll start seeing that whole, you know, even trade if you want to call it. You know, I think that'll kind of dissipate. Um, but but overall, I think it's going to be it'll be an exciting day. And you know, I don't know how many moves you guys typically have. You know, I'd love to have like an under over on it. But um, you know, I guess we'll see. Like I said, you know, I, I like making trades, man. It brings it exciting. It makes people look at you. Um, and I like those blockbuster trades. You know. Yeah, I mean, the, the big piece, too, is, like, those guys, I'm trying – I would say, like, Bobby Witt Jr. is probably the best prospect left, unless Alicia yeah. decides to trade Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. A lot – and but we usually have a team at the deadline that is – especially at the All-Star game – that is clearly a seller. And I think you right now categorically are, you know, the bottom of the standing. But you can't – you can make a case that you're not the worst team in the league. Yeah. And, the, the team right above you is Karen, but do you, I don't see Karen selling because she has enough talent to win. And Absolutely. I know she wants to repeat as champion. So right, I'm very curious what's going to happen. I mean, two weeks is a long time and we yeah. could have some of those five, whatever, five and seven teams sitting at five and nine. And that yeah. might be enough to get them to be like, all right, it's time to sell. Yeah. But we'll see. I think. All it, right. So before uh, you leave me, give me a baseball hot take. You know, everyone will disagree with. Um, you've been oh, shit. You've been known for the Kyle Schwar- <laughs> hating Kyle Schwarber. You hate Dominic Smith. You love oh the, my God. the black jerseys. What's some other things you've said? Oh um, God, dude. I'm trying to think of the I'm other trying to think of, you had, but I know I'm trying to just think of players that I don't like that I know everybody else probably likes. Um, oh, you love Harper, and I think that's pretty. Everyone dude. universally doesn't like him in our league, aside from Karen. Karen likes Harper. I know Karen. I'm so sorry he didn't play today. I was so upset. And I was literally sitting there and my cousin looked at me and he's like, why do you like that guy? And I was like, Rich, 
look at his hair. How do you not not <laughs> like the guy? I mean, I love him. Um, I'm trying to think a good baseball hot take. This is great. All right, we'll give you. All right, so I'm gonna ask you this: Who do you, who do you think has the best uniforms in baseball? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I like the Rockies jerseys a lot. Even that's the your favorite jersey in the league. See, that's a hot take. That's what I was looking for. Something like that. I mean, I'm still. I'm not even kidding you. I go on eBay once a week looking for the Randy Johnson Diamondbacks vest jersey, dude. Oh my! Would you like vest jerseys? See, this is the hot take I would need. This is the best, I, the best hot take I could ever ask for. Well, see, that's the thing. I like the vest jerseys like that when it's respectable. I don't think what Yasiel Puig, who I fucking hate, <laughs> I think he was an asshole for coming out there last year, whatever it was on the Reds. I thought that was so dumb and disrespectful to baseball. Well, um, wearing the, wearing the tank, whatever the vest with no shirt underneath. Yep, hate it. Yeah, what's his name? Derek Diedrich did that too, as well for the Reds. Yep, yep. I hate. I don't it understand as much the as... vest thing. What do you like about it? Because you can't wear. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to wear a shirt underneath it, like when you wear yeah. it. Yeah. Do you have I the think... vest jersey? No, I don't have it yet. Well, I actually have my own from when we played like travel baseball when I was like seventeen. It doesn't fit when I button it, but I keep it open. I'll wear it to the All Star game. I'm telling you, you're going to get one after that. Are you. You're gonna get one. And you're gonna get one, and then all the people who hate crunchy peanut butter, I'm gonna get everybody drunk enough. We're gonna have some crunchy peanut butter <laughs> in the parking lot. Bro. Yeah, my brother won't be there, so like he, we all we could break the peanut butter. I think the reason why I love peanut butter so much it was never in my house because my brother was always like deathly allergic to it. So, uh, dude, I love sense. crunchy. I love smooth. I love peanut butter in any form. So yeah, I'm all dude, in, dude. Great. It's not like I I don't like crunchy peanut butter. Have you bro, ever you had can't... peanut butter <laughs> and jelly on like um, whole wheat like? 12 grain bread have you ever had that oh it's amazing it's the best yeah you like crunch i think you're a crunch guy oh dude i'm a crunch guy for sure so are you like a nestle crunch guy i don't think that's enough crunch ah uh, that's all right i like crunch bar but nothing uh i think it's enough i'll give you that now m&m now makes a uh it's like this bar but it's got mini m&ms and crisps throughout it i think that's great too i've seen that what about like the nutrageous bar that has the actual reese's pieces in it yeah i saw it i got everything gets stuck in my teeth i feel like so that kind of (laughs) like kills that kind of hurts me to be honest my teeth are pretty sensitive (laughs) all right well on that note nick thank you for joining me so much man i really appreciate it this is a blast Um, next week if you want to pop on i don't know if something so obviously sunday is the fourth of july and i will be celebrating america um you know outside with uh friends and family so i'm not sure if i'm gonna be doing the podcast but I might be doing it Monday if you'd like to hop on on the 5th. Hell yeah, man. I, I totally forgot it's the 4th of July. The Mets and Yankees have the night game. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm hoping that like we'll put it on outside or something while we're out drinking some beers and stuff. It'd be cool. Yeah. Can I, uh, can I make one bold prediction? Of course, man. All right, everybody. Listen up. Me and Karen are not going to be 9-8 and eight in the power rankings at the end of the season. I'll tell you that. Wow. Where are you, uh, you don't want to go ahead and tell us where you think you'll be or you want to just leave it there? I'm just going to leave it there. I think there's going to be a few teams that I have predictions that are going to drop. Maybe like two teams that I think will go below us. So, Do you think Alicia makes the playoffs? Like gut feeling right now? No. All right. There Not we go. Right now. I'm going to leave I'll it on t- that, Nick. I think Bazada takes the top of my division. Interesting. All right. Well, see so here that Bazada, you're going to withstand all the injuries and sort of weather this storm that you've been <laughs> in. So you heard it from Nick here first. Nick, thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, dude. All right, a big thank you to Nick for joining me. That was an awesome segment. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed uh, talking with Nick. 
Um, I always appreciate him getting on here. And to be clear, I mean, he came on here when he was 0-6 when his team was struggling, so I was happy to give him the platform to have a conversation when he's fresh off a three-game winning streak, and it's well-deserved. His team's on the rise, and surprisingly, he's only two games back in a division that seemed like it was out of reach in the beginning of the year. But that shows how much can change in only six, I guess, six short weeks, really. So Alicia, as we mentioned before, she was the topic of discussion in our conversation. I will continue to talk about her team and the free fall she's found herself in, sitting at 6-6 six and six now where she, you know, that wouldn't be such a bad thing, but she was 5-0. and oh, And we've been talking about building a, a pad to kind of run and hide, and Travis has done that. You know, he's been struggling a couple weeks in a row. He continues to find ways to win, but even if he has a sort of an extended losing streak, he's built up sort of a a padded lead that he doesn't have to worry about falling out of a playoff spot. And now we talked about before, Alicia doesn't have that luxury anymore. She's now six and six. She's joined the pack officially, and she's going to have to to scratch and claw to stay inside inside of a playoff spot. And that won't be easy. So. What looked to be like a magical ride for her is going to be a struggle for the next 10 weeks. Um, but let's get into it. Let's talk about the general Week 12 breakdown, and let's get right into the matchup. So starting with me and Karen, this was a very interesting matchup because speaking from my perspective, I sort of written it off as a loss early on in the week, and I, I truly mean that. So going forward, I would say like maybe on Thursday... My team was really doing nothing, so I was down by 20 points, and Karen continually sort of kept scoring consistent points. Her pitching was really doing a lot, and all of a sudden, I was sparked on a great Saturday and a great Sunday, and yes, I did benefit from the Framber Valdez complete game in you know, six innings, and I do agree that it is something that has to be fixed, but for right now, it's sort of the world we're living in where that is a complete game, and they are still reaping you still get the benefit of of that and you can't change the fact that it is a complete game and it will affect matchups going forward and it may affect championships going forward and we have to accept that as long as we're playing within the parameters of yahoo that's what it is we can't specify what's a complete game i wish we could and maybe next year we'll be able to do that where we can make a complete game right now it's worth six points um Maybe we can make it worth three points if it's something that's not a complete game, like if it's rain-shortened or if it's shortened, if it's a shortened complete game because of the doubleheader rule. I don't know, but it will affect matchups. But if you take away the Framber Valdez complete game, I still would have won by 10 points. My team just showed up, and all my streams seemed to work. I had posted in the chat, is there anything better than the feeling of when a stream goes it goes well? And I streamed... Uh, I think, I don't know his first name, but Lauer from the Colorado Rockies against the Padres, just on a gut feeling that the Padres have been scoring runs consistently. I felt like their lineup was due for sort of a dud performance, and I was right. Uh, the Padres came back and won off of the Rockies' bullpen. That is atrocious, but I was able to get a quality start from Lauer, and that was awesome. So sometimes the streaming works, and sometimes it, it, it comes back to bite you. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it was a completely different matchup. That was the, the Milwaukee Brewers. So Eric Lauer, see, I streamed him, and I don't even know who he is, but I did get 6.95 points from him. So Eric Lauer pitched for the, the Brewers against the Rockies, so obviously that was an obvious choice to, to pitch someone against the Rockies' abysmal offense, and he won 5-0. I was thinking of somebody differently. But still, when you stream a player, 
that's what you want from them. And then the day before that, I streamed Merrill Kelly, who has been a consistently good pitcher in this league. That's what I was thinking with Kelly. He wanted pitching well against the Padres. Um, he got a win and a quality start against the Padres and got me 6.75 points. So that's 12 points right there, and that is a huge – that probably is the difference right there. Um, I wound up winning by 20 points, a shocking win for me. I Like I said, I wrote it off as a loss. And looking at some of the performers, Trey Turner had a great week for me, 11.05 points. Adam Frazier continues to be a revelation for the Pirates and for my team. Uh, he's been someone I rely on. I picked him up, and I was flirting with picking him up for a while, and I decided not to, and I was like, ah. But I'm happy I did. He sits 44th in points. I'm thinking that he will be someone that teams target at the trade deadline, and that will make him even more valuable going forward. He is someone that uh, has the talent clearly. He has eligibility at second base and left field. And if you put him in a, in a lineup that is more diverse and more uh, productive than the Pirates lineup, I think he'll be an elite fantasy producer because right now he's been very, very good for an anemic Pirates lineup. Tommy Pham had 9.75 points for me. Um, Jose Abreu did nothing for me this week, and it's been you know a little bit troubling. I did trade him for Lindor, so I'm hoping for more from him. He got hit on the knee with a pitch and limped off the field, couldn't put weight on it. X-rays were negative. I'll talk about the injuries in a second. So that was something I was definitely watching closely. Um, but I'm expecting more from Jose Abreu. And not that Lindor has given me much. I've been winning despite Lindor. So it's I, I just want more from Abreu. Let's just leave it at that. But I am not panicking yet. But looking at my pitching, Luis Castillo was great this week. He had 6.95 points. Had a quality start for his third straight start, which was, you know, looked very, very bleak for him. And I'm glad I held out on him and decided to keep him because he was very droppable. He was very, 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 very bad. Um, he went seven strong against the Braves yesterday, won 4-1, struck out six. He's been very good. And the time out before that, he pitched well against a uh, a great lineup in San Diego. He had seven Ks, and the one before that, he went seven again against Milwaukee. So he seems to be getting it together, and that's great news for my team because I exercise patience on him because I don't know if a lot of people would have kept him on their roster because he's been that bad. I talked about Merrill Kelly before. I streamed him 6.95 points. Eric Lauer from Milwaukee had 6.95 as well. Kyle Hendricks pitched well for me this week, 6.75. Scherzer had two starts, 12.2. Uh, Scherzer had that, uh, that I guess, the clip that will live in, in history as like kind of this era of baseball where they're checking for the sticky stuff on pitchers where he was very annoyed with the Girardi thing earlier in the week, and I don't blame him as they interrupted his rhythm, and he was just to kind of get in his head, Girardi was asking the umpires to check him for the foreign substances, and Scherzer's not someone you really want to mess with, and it looked like Girardi and Scherzer were going to go at it right there on the field, and I definitely would pay pay-per-view money to see that fight. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I think people were in the chat were talking about who they think would win. Girardi obviously has a sneaky shower bod. Um, it looks like he... Definitely hits the gym, but Scherzer is—he uh, has the crazy eyes a little bit. I think he would take—he would take Girardi uh, down in any way that he possibly can, and doesn't mean he'd fight fair. Um, but that was something that uh, sort of ridiculous. It's been a theme this week. We saw uh, Sergio Romo take off his pants and do a little bit of a strip tease for the umpire. We saw—I mean, everyone was checked. There's been just pitchers that are complying. I think there was the one pitcher, Hector Santiago, for the Seattle Mariners was the first pitcher that was caught with having some substance. They confiscated his, his glove and threw him out of the game. 
But for the most part, all of the pitchers are complying with the rules, and it looks like they're not finding anything. So, But we are seeing a reduction in, in spin rate. We are seeing a reduction in Ks. We are seeing an, an uptick in offense, and I think that is no coincidence. There is definitely a correlation between the lack of foreign substances like spider tack and like pine tar on the ball uh, and the, I guess, the in, in improvement in the offensive production from all the different lineups in baseball. So I think we're seeing great pitchers find a way to get guys out. But as we saw today, Garrett Cole struggled in Fenway, um, and he's going to have to find different ways to get guys out, and it's not with the spin rate. And that's sort of what made him the pitcher that he is when he went to Houston. People forget that Garrett Cole was a highly touted prospect in Pittsburgh, was not great. I think he was written off as sort of a bust, and reinvented himself when he got to Houston, um, as did a lot of players when, he got, when they got there. Charlie Morton, when Verlander went there. Verlander was traded and sort of a lost cause to turn himself back into a Cy Young caliber pitcher. And that may have something to do with just their coaching and their pitching coaches, but it could have a lot to do with the fact that maybe they were onto something with the spin rate. Because at this point, you can measure the spin rate. It's RPMs. You can measure the amount of spin on a ball. And I think at this point, we could recognize what is a normal RPM and the normal spin rate for a pitcher not using a substance. And I think that's how they really should decide who they're checking. They should use use the data that they're so they have so much of and say, all right, well, this guy's numbers seem to be influenced. Let's check him. Let's not check every pitcher. It's sort of ridiculous. And if they want to check pitchers, I think they should check them not on the field. I know they're trying to make an example of it, but I think at the same time, it's making sort of a mockery of the rule, and it's becoming sort of pomp and circumstance where now the thing, instead of watching baseball on the highlights, they're showing these highlights of pitchers being checked. And that's sort of maybe trying to dissuade pitchers from doing it because they don't want to be embarrassed on the field like Santiago was today when he was thrown out. But at the same time, um, it's making a mockery of it, and I think it's sort of a clown show at this point. Um, but we will see how it goes. This is just the first week of enforcing the rules hardcore on the field. But I think the most um, fantasy-relevant part will be looking at the numbers and all the pitchers that we rely so heavily on. Garrett Cole definitely looked really, really bad. Not the wonder if Travis would have made the trade uh, to send Woodruff off if he knew um, maybe Cole would struggle. And I'm not saying Cole's done. I'm, I still think Cole's a great pitcher. But he definitely did not look sharp today, and that has to be worry, worrisome for Travis. Uh, 10 points from Valdez, like I talked about before. He got the complete game loss, the Cowboy complete game um, in six innings uh, in the seven-inning doubleheader. Uh, Kikuchi had 4.3 for me. Corbin Burns, not great. He's another guy that seems to be benefiting from spin rate, and he's quietly sort of not been great the last couple times out. So um, something to watch for. He was someone that I probably could have sold really high on and got the world for. But I think he's got to find different ways to pitch, and Let's not discount the fact that he's never pitched um, starter level of workload on his arm. So that's something to watch for, too. Looking at Karen's team, she had a good week, but offensively there was a lot of guys that she probably wanted more from. Luke Voigt got off to a hot start, but then uh, cooled off during the Boston series. So he had 5.55 points. Merrifield had 6.35. Uh, the most points she had offensively was from Teoscar Hernandez, 925 
But Glaber Torres had literally 0.25 points. Will Myers only 1.75. Um, and then Jarrett Walsh also struggled for her as well, 1.40. Uh, Will Smith only 3.20. Didn't play today either. Pitching-wise, she got a great outing from Zach Wheeler today. He, he dominated the Mets. He's been great. He's been all she could have asked for from him. Um, but she needed more from her offense, and I think if she would have gotten typical production from like Merrifield or typical production from even Chris Taylor, who had only 3.35 points, we could have a different outcome. But she now sits at 5-7. and seven. I move it. I set at 6-6. Six and six. I'm finally back to 500. Um, and this is sort of the separation we're seeing from this jam-packed nature of all these 500 teams. They're starting to play each other because of the nature that everyone's 500, and we're starting to see a separation. And like I talked about with Nick before, we may see teams decide that they're going to be start. They're going to be starting to think about selling, and that takes time because I think teams have to fall out of it. And I don't see Karen dropping out of it. I don't think she's going to say even if she loses next week and is a five and eight. I think she has confidence in her team, and she knows well enough that in a championship, of under five hundred team, as long as they get in the playoffs, can win in the playoffs. So I think Karen will be just fine. But offensively, she definitely struggled this week and. She needed more from her guys. All right, second matchup was Perrier and Greg. Perrier moved to six and six. Greg dropped to five and seven. And moral of the story here is Greg is fighting the injury bug as everybody is, but Greg especially he's missing Glass now and Bieber. So sometimes it's a little much for him to overcome. He only scored 102 points, and I'm pretty sure that was the lowest in the league this week. It was. So he's struggling struggling a little bit here. Offensively, he got the most production from Carlos Correa, who had 11.85 points. And also, Tatis Jr. has been amazing for him. So, Tatis had 13 points. I'm sorry, Tatis had more points than him, but they were both very similar. Uh, that's really all he got offensively. The rest of the guys were in single digits. Jesse Winker is a big thing, and I'll talk about in the injury the injury report later. He's day-to-day uh, with a hip injury. They said that he will be returning to the lineup, and I'll give more details again during the injury report segment. He uh, left the lineup, and they're hoping he returns, but that's a huge piece for Greg that he needs more from. Um, only at 4.4 points this week. Uh, so, yeah, and even, like, Stan this week only had five. So looking at that lineup, and Devin and I talked about this during the Power Rankings episode, there's nothing that would change. I love the whole lineup. But it's not great when Jorge Soler is getting 0.9 points for you um, and really, really is struggling. So pitching-wise... Only 1.85 points from Lance Lynn, and you got to wonder if he's slowing down a bit. Maybe the sticky stuff affects him as well. Sort of the, I haven't really looked at his RPMs or the spin rate on his uh, on his end, but you know maybe starting to slow down because he is an older pitcher and there's a lot of innings on the arm. So this is the second straight outing that he didn't have a quality start. Uh, he was really really good in the beginning of the year, um, but maybe this is just a slump. But he needs more from Lancelin, especially with Glass now and Bieber being out. Kevin Gossman has been the apple of a lot of people's eyes for the. He's pitching for the Giants and has been amazing. He's everything that the Orioles thought he might be. Uh, so if Greg winds up being a seller, and I'm not saying he will be because I think there's a lot of talent on that roster, if he starts picking down the pieces, I think Gossman can get you any prospect or any young talent that you really want because he's exactly what you need down the stretch. I think Gosman would be a, a huge trade target if, if Greg decides to open up the doors and say, you know what, I'm selling. And Gosman would be one of those guys that maybe he doesn't want to keep, 
Uh, maybe he doesn't view as that long-term keeper and he wants to just get rid of him, but he can also find pieces to build around. And I can guarantee you that there will be a lot of bidders for Kevin Gosman. Um, other than that, not much to look at on Greg's roster. It's just he's trying to he's trying to endure all these injuries. Um, you know, between Plesak, Bieber, Glass, now even Spencer Turnbull, like he wasn't a huge piece. He had the no hitter, obviously, but a lot of injuries on his roster. Carson Kelly's still hurt now. Day to day is uh, Cattell Marte, who's been great for him. He only had two point five points this week. So he's just banged up right now, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to figure it out. But with 10 weeks left, uh, this may be like the stretch of the season where he has to make a decision. Maybe it's the year that I'm not really going to go for it. But 5-7 and seven is not, obviously not insurmountable. Looking at Perrier, didn't have his best week like I talked about, but you know, playing the team that only had 102 points. Um, you know, he... He was able to benefit from playing a team that scored a little, you know, obviously less points than them. So only scored 113 points. I know Perry is probably not happy with the the production of his team, but he has to be happy sitting at 6-6. Six and six. He's right in the hunt of everything. He's a game back from the division lead. Um, he got eight points from Yasmani Grandal, and that's all you can ask for from a catcher. Pete Alonso only had four points. Jose Ramirez only had 2.45 points. Uh, Kyle Tucker was kind of quiet this week, less than a point. Uh, the highlight of his whole offense was Brian Reynolds, and he's another guy similar to Adam Frazier that the Pirates may be looking to trade at the deadline. And if Brian Reynolds winds up on a contender, he's another guy who's pretty versatile. He is uh, eligible in center, left, right. He's someone who could fit in any lineup. Um, top of the lineup, he steals bases, he gets on base, he hits for power. He's been great, and I think the Pirates will probably move him. And you put him in a good lineup, I think he'd be even better for Perrier. Uh, Strowman is someone that he didn't pitch well. He only lasted three innings in the loss to the Phillies uh, today. So, and he's day to day right now. So, that's something to watch for. He got tagged with the day to day later. Um, it says that it's unknown if he'll make the the next star for the Mets, but something to keep tabs on because Strowman is a huge piece for Perrier's team. Oda Rizzi, who was, um, I actually saw him as listed as one of those guys you want to stream this week. He definitely lived up to the billing that first outing on the 21st. Didn't pitch so well against Detroit, but definitely was a, a tasty matchup against a bad Detroit lineup. Um, but Oda Rizzi is someone he streamed, and he might hold on to him. But yeah, that's pretty much it for Perrier's lineup. He has to be happy to get the win. Um, if he would have played pretty much anyone else except Travis, he would have lost, but those are the breaks. I think um, he got lucky, but his team is talented enough to withstand these injuries, and you got to think his offense will produce more uh, in the coming weeks because there's not going to be many weeks that you don't get a lot from Tucker, you don't get a lot from Alonzo and Jose Ramirez. It's just not going to be the case. Moving to Bizzotta and Devin. Bizzotta beat Devin, moved to 6-6. Six and six. Devin dropped to 6-6. Six and six. So we're starting to get in the weeds of all these teams that are 500, um, and... This matchup was pretty close, but sort of was over by the end of yesterday. Pizzotto finished with 131.35 points, and Devin at 117.45. Looking at Pizzotto's team first, since he was the winner, uh, highlight offensively has to be the two outfielders right in the middle of his, well, I would say the right in the middle of his lineup would be Schwarber, 13.8 points. And I, heard, I saw Devin talking some shit about Schwarber 
in the chat as he continued to crush the ball. And there was a crazy stat, too. Um, so he hit 13 home runs in 14 games. So he has four homers in three games, nine homers in six games, and 13 homers in 14 games. So just in that time, his time time span, his on on base has climbed from uh, seven sixteen to eight ninety six in two weeks. So Schwarber's been great, a nice pickup from Bazada and Adolis Garcia has got thirteen point six five points, and he seems to be getting hot again after a little bit of a lull. Um, so Adolis has been one of those guys that Bazada held on to, one of those streamers that he picked up and just held on to him. Xander Bogarts had eleven point six five points. He's been great, quietly one of the better shortstops in the league. Obviously, he gets sort of overshadowed by Fernando Tatis and everything that's going on in San Diego. But Xander's been very, very good, 15th overall in points, almost has 100 points already, um, and is a key cog in that Boston lineup that is an, a huge, huge offensive uh, ballpark. And Bogarts will be awesome for, for Bizzotta down the stretch as long as he stays healthy. Uh, Mookie continues to be really quiet and... You have to wonder if he's going to get going. Um, not sure really what's the deal with Mookie. When he plays, he's in the lineup, but it's like he's not really he's not really producing at the level that he's been producing in the past, and he's not he's definitely not producing at the level that a number one overall draft pick would be producing at. So I think he'll be there at the end of the year. It's similar to maybe the Jose Ramirez thing a few years ago. Definitely not as bad as it, but I think by the end of the year, his numbers probably should be there. Uh, but definitely something Bazzotta is hoping for. Um, and he has to look at it this way. He's 6-6 six and six despite his best player not playing like it. And you have to wonder that if Mookie actually gets going, you know, Bazzotta's team could be even more dangerous. Pitching-wise, he didn't get much from Rodone or Gallon like he wanted to. Only 2.2 points from Rodone. Um, but they also have that range-shortened game, so that is another issue. Um, I'm pretty sure he pitched... Yeah, he... Uh, I'm not sure if he pitched that that game, but they had the rain-shortened game somewhere in there, so that might have affected his numbers. Zach Allen had only four points. Ian Anderson pitched well this week. I think he had two starts for him. He had two starts, so he had four, 4.35 in the, the first start early in the week in that doubleheader, almost one complete game. And then he had six innings on the 26th with 5.55 points, and that's been what he was expecting from Ian Anderson, especially with the bright spots last year. At the end of the year, Ian Anderson was... Uh, definitely key in a lot of his decision-making last year, and he's starting to live up to it. Uh, Kyle Gibson was great for him yesterday as well. I was with Bizzotti yesterday, and he was very, very happy that Kyle Gibson went out there and had 10 Ks, had a quality start, only walked one, 9.25 points for Kyle Gibson. And that's someone who, I mean, damn, awesome. Um, sort of we thought Texas was a black hole for talent, but there's some great pieces there in Texas, and I think – Maybe if Texas decides they want to trade some players, that could be the same case for, for Kyle Gibson. I Like the things I said about the Pirates, two offensive studs with Reynolds and Frazier, maybe Texas decides to trade Kyle Gibson and, and he goes to a contender and maybe you can get some more of those, um, a nice lineup around him. But he's been pitching very, very well. And for a waiver pick, I mean, Bazada has a lot of these guys on his roster that he just found out there and it's keeping him in the, keeping him in the hunt. Uh, Jose Barrios has been frustrating for him. Had 6.05 points this week, uh, but he had his last time out on Thursday. He had nine strikeouts and no decision, so he shows glimpses of greatness, and I think that's something that is frustrating because when he is bad, he's really bad, but when he's good, he's really, really good. Bazada's hoping to get Steven Matz back soon. He should be coming back next week. 
He's been cleared of all the COVID-19 protocols, and he's been with the, the team. So I think that, you know, he can be back. And I guess maybe he'll be pitching against the Mariners in that series and opening the week. So that's a huge piece for Bizzotta to get back as well. Uh, as for Devin's team, Devin got nothing from Salvi this week. He has to deal with the fact that Anthony Rizzo's day-to-day. Uh, he left the game, I believe, uh, today. And... With a back injury, so it's something to watch for. DJ LeMay has been getting hot despite the Yankees getting swept by Boston. He's been hitting, so even in losses, he's been hitting. He went four for five yesterday, two for four today, uh, one for five the day before that. I mean, he's hitting, looks like, the, the last 12 games, so DJ seems to be getting hot. And that he's sort of lost in that deal that he made for Acuna, sort of a throw-in. And DJ could be a huge piece down down the stretch for for Devin because people forget how good he is. And he could be an elite fantasy producer. And he has the eligibility at first, second, and third. So you can really pop him in any spot that you need him to. Cabrian Hayes had 9.75 points for Devin. 8.4 from Trevor Story. Michael Brantley, 8 points. Uh, offensively, there wasn't really a lot that popped out to me aside from the DJ thing. He needs more from his guys. And I think Devin knows that. Pitching-wise, uh, closers he got nothing from. A combined, I think, two points between Chapman and Reyes. The starters, I mean, J.A. Happ only had 6.95 points. Ross Stripling had 7.75. Casey Mize only had 6.05. So really no one stepped up and kind of had that big week that he needed to get past Pizzotta. Herman Marquez had 7.35 points. Lucas Giolito continues to sort of be, uh, you know, frustrating. He only had 4.65 points this week. He got negative points from uh, streamer Alex Cobb. Maybe, I mean, who knows? I don't want to disrespect Alex Cobb like that. Maybe he's someone he wants to keep on his roster. But Devin needs more from those guys. He fell to 3-6. and six. I mean, sorry, 6-6. Six and six. Um, But the negative points on his team, too. I mean, you got, you got Kyle Wright, who had negative points. You got Colby Allard, who had negative points. He streamed Andrew Haney, who's been passed around a little bit, um, who actually was on Bazada's team on Sunday, but he started the week on Devin's team, so that's always interesting to watch. But looking at Devin's IL, he, he has to be getting Flaherty back at some point. There's been no update. The last time he pitched was the 31st of May. Here's hoping he can be back soon. He was leading the league in wins. Um, and then Steven Strasburg, uh, he's expected to throw a 25-pitch bullpen uh, today or tomorrow so we will see when he comes back but I wouldn't be expecting much from him he hasn't pitched since June 1st where he left only an ending an ending in a third so not much from Strasburg either and then also Pineda who Devin was trying to trade but Pineda's been pretty solid Pineda's been on the IL since and his last start was the 13th of June where he didn't pitch well at all his last three outings had negative points so there's some talent on his IL but he's definitely going to need more from the guys that he's supposed to get you know, a lot from. I mean, even Acuna only had 6.2 points from him, so you're never going to win when your guys are not producing at those levels. And 117 points is definitely not where uh, Devin likes to be as far as weekly output goes. He's a team that averages much more than that. I'm going to his team page right now and seeing how much he actually averages. So he is definitely a team that certainly scores a lot of points, and he averages 128.02 points, so... You know, scoring 10 points less than your actual uh, usual average is never a good sign. So, but he gets the 500, 
And like I talked about before, he's only a game back from the division lead. I actually know he's tied for the division lead. We'll see how it shakes out uh, at the live standings right now. So Jim, let's see. So it looks like Alicia has the edge in points at 6-6. Six and six, But that division is pretty tight with Alicia at 6-6, six and six, Devin at 6-6, six and six, and then it goes Bizzotta, Perrier, and then Nick's only two games back. So in a blink of an eye, Devin can be in first place if he decides that he can get a win next week. And, you know, but I guess you could look at it this way. He probably is disappointed that he could have got a win and sat in first place at 7-5 and five this week. Moving on to a pretty big matchup that we talked about last week as like the matchup to watch was Jimmy and Travis. And we were wondering if if Jimmy was going to make continue to make a statement. And he did. He actually buried Travis pretty Early on in the week, Travis had really struggled all week. I think on Thursday he only had 59 points, so the fact that he's sitting at 102 was probably lucky. But similar to Greg, I think there was only like .10 separating them. Not a great week for Travis. He falls to 9-3, but silver lining is he has put himself in a position that these weeks really can't bother you. A loss is a loss. Um, But I think the point output is the more troubling thing. Like It's okay losing, especially when... You won nine of the first 12 weeks, but to only scoring 102 points, you would have lost to pretty much everyone in the league, if not everybody. Um, looking at his team, I think I highlighted before with the Garrett Cole thing and like the the fact that he got beat up this week, but even offensively, it's been ugly. Aaron Judge was, was one of the, the producers from 9.05 points. Joey Gallo had 13.7 points for him. But looking at this, like Kiner Fleffer only had two points, Goldschmidt only had three point nine, Gavin Lux four point one, Yohan Mankata four, Miguel Rojas one point five five, Austin Meadows eight point two. So looking at like Miguel Rojas, like we talked about this before, you know, people are trying to move a shortstop to him, and I know I was one of those guys trying to trade Lindor, um, or even like Mondesi when he was healthy. There comes a point when your lineup, you're going to need like those elite players because they slow down. Like maybe Kiner Fleffer's finally done. He was, he was torrid all year. He has the catcher eligibility, which makes him really attractive. But how long can you go getting two points from a guy a week? You know, it's devastating. Even with Rojas, 1.55, that's pretty much unacceptable. Even uh, J.P. Crawford only had 1.15 for him this week. Pitching-wise, he only got 4.7 from Cole. You're never going to win that week when you have your ace giving you that outing. Christian Javier only had 2.25, and... Uh, Javier only went one and a third. It seems like they're using him out of the bullpen, which has to be really frustrating for Travis because he is someone who could be a great starter down the stretch, and they're just using him out of the bullpen, it looks like. Alcantara only had 2.8 points. He went five and a third, had negative points for Travis. He hasn't had a quality. Well, he had a quality start, broke his streak, four straight quality starts up until his last start. Um, so he's looking more of the, the Sandy Alcantara that was Pitching against St. Louis, who had 11.9 points, almost one complete game, struck out seven. So Alcantara is someone he's really relying on, especially that he traded Woodruff. Uh, Closing-wise, he got six points from Presley this week, and the Astros continue to win. Um, Yeah, but the main thing here is concerning about Cole. So Cole, the fact that he's been sort of the face of the sticky stuff and the spider attack, and now that his spin rate's down, it seems like he's not pitching as well. And if Cole is definitely not the elite pitcher that maybe Travis drafted, we could sort of see a downgrade in what we thought was the best pitching staff in the league now take sort of a hit. 
So, but three of his last five starts, he has a quality start, and four of his last six. So, I wouldn't start panicking yet. But if you look at his early starts, where he's striking out, like look at May twelfth. This is before obviously they started enforcing the sticky stuff. Had twelve Ks, had ten point four points, went eight strong, and now compare that to June third, playing the same Tampa team, gave up five earned runs and only struck out seven and walked two. So. As a Yankee fan, I am worried about Cole a bit. I know Travis probably is worried about, worried about him too. And he's been Travis has been sort of quiet in the chat, so we'll see what's happening with that. Um, but sitting at 9-3, and three, he's still the class of the league. I think he'll be just fine. But there are some minor adjustments he, need to, he needs to make, and I think he will be definitely a buyer at the deadline because he needs to shore up this team if he wants to make a championship run because scoring 102 points is not acceptable. Um, and then Jimmy, let's look at his team, who's been putting on an absolute you know, statement, show, however you want to put it. He's been amazing week after week. 15.55 points from, from Cronenworth, Jake Cronenrook for the Padres. He picked up Matt Chapman, who sort of was sitting on the waiver wire for quite some time. 11.3 points. Jordan Alvarez has been great. 16.10 points. Shohei Otani was a, I think, a single from the from the cycle today. Has 25 home runs, fifth overall in points. Has been amazing for Jimmy. Nelson Cruz, 7.85 points this week. He got four points from Lean Hendrick, his closer. Will Smith had 6.50. Chris Bassett had 5.7 points. But it looked like Jimmy's offense really is the one that carried him throughout the whole week. And getting 16 points from Alvarez, 15 from Cronenworth, like right there is like a huge difference. Like you compare them to, like I'm looking at like the second base position on the matchup log, and Gavin Lux had four points for Travis and 15 points for Cronenworth, and then for Matt Chapman at 11.3, Mancata had four for Travis, and then Meadows had 8.2, Alvarez had 16.10. So there's the difference in the week right there. Right there. Cronenworth had amazing production. Great week for Cronenworth and great week for Jimmy, and he continues to win in different ways. So he's the team to beat right now. I really think that, and I think Jimmy put on put on a show this week, 7-5. and five. He continues to rise. He is two games back from Travis, and he, I think, has – I can't see the updated points total, but I think he leads the league in points. Um, I know I was pretty close to him, but he – he leads the league in points, I believe, by a decent margin at this point. Maybe like 50 points or 40 points. I'll see it tomorrow. But it didn't populate it, and I don't want to add up all the points. But he's been doing it with... He's just been slugging people to death and putting up the points week after week. Had 140 points this week. I'm going to go to his point totals from each of the, each of the last couple weeks and just read them to you because it's been... It's downright impressive. The week before, lost to Karen, had 137 points. The week before, 140 points in a win. week before that, 145. week before that, 132. week before that, 188. So since week seven, he's just been putting points on the board with reckless abandon and going to his team page to see how much he averages a week. He's averaging 136 points a week. That has to be best in the league. 
So Jimmy's been consistently impressive, and he has to be. I mean, by week 15 when we're doing the power rankings, I'd be shocked if he wasn't number one. You know, truly. All right, moving on to the last matchup, and that's Nick who defeated Alicia at 6-6. Six and six. And I said a lot about this matchup with Nick in the segment that you guys just listened to. So Nick moved to 4-8, and eight, Alicia dropped to 6-6. Six and six, And I said a lot of my commentary on there. Um, Alicia left a lot of points on the bench this week and in her NA spot and in her IL spot. So Nick took advantage of that. He still would have beat her anyway. He had the most points this week at 147 points. Great week for Nick. He deserved all the praise I gave him on the podcast. He is one of those managers that stuck it through. He easily could have gave up. Fantasy baseball is really frustrating, but it is a long marathon. So he's seeing that starting the year 0-5 has to be daunting, but he's climbing surely but surely back. Surely slowly but surely back into the hunt he's figuring out a way to win um he didn't stand pat he made a lot of moves he's been picking up players but he's also been trading players as you heard him on the podcast before he had said that he will be probably a buyer either way he'll be active even if he decides to sell say he loses the next couple weeks he will be an active participant in the trade talks so it'll be interesting to see what happens the next couple weeks as we lead up to the all-star game which is in like i think two weeks now uh, yeah, July twelfth. So it will be it's pretty it's coming up pretty quickly, and a lot of those trade talks will manifest from from the All Star game when we see each other in person. I, and I personally can't wait for that. Uh, looking at his team, Castellanos is back to his form: ten point two points, McCutcheon nine point nine five, JD Martinez seven point zero five, Loriano nine point five five. Pitching wise. 11.85 from Eddie Rodriguez, Evaldi 7.15, Bueller not great this week, but didn't really need it, Wainwright 7.7, Kershaw was great tonight, 14.30 points, and then looking at some of these other guys, he streamed Tyone, who now had 6.55 for him, it went right for him, John Gray, as he talked about before, had 5 points, he's deciding to keep him as one of those guys that you stream, but decide you like him a little bit, um, he's keeping him on his roster, Lindor had a good week for him, 8.2 points. Um, so an overall great week, well-rounded. It wasn't just happening in one spot. He got consistent production from all different levels of his lineup. Um, and a great, great week for him. Alicia, you know, as I said before, she got some negative points from some some pitchers. Like Garrett Richards had negative points this week for her. Eric Fetty, who got hurt, had negative points. But looking at her team, like I can go from Monday to – I'm going to go back to Monday – um, so looking at her team, Wander Franco got called up on Tuesday. She didn't make the appropriate move and also to get Muncie out of the IL. So Muncie had 0.5 points and Wander had 4.6. So, I mean, you could do the math and figure out all the points she left on her bench, but like even like, I mean, look in the offensive bench and not that she has to make the right decisions every day, but the long offensive bench will cost you. She left like 10 points on the bench. On Wednesday, which th- that could be the difference, really, if you start adding them up. And then today, Max Muncy didn't play and Trey Mancini didn't play, and she left Josh Bell on the bench, and they were playing. Um, so those are things that are going to definitely come up to bite you when if you're not setting your lineup and not tending to it as ca- carefully as your opponents are, those points that get left on the bench or gets left in the NA spot or left in the IL spot will cost you. And now she's looking at a 6-6 six and six uh, record that she can quickly be out of a playoff spot. So she has to figure out a way to 
either trim down that offensive bench so she doesn't have to make decisions on a daily basis, um, or find a way to like dedicate the the time maybe once a day to make sure that everyone's in the lineup as they're supposed to be. And a guy like Wander has to be in the lineup for her as well on that day. I mean, she lost out on five points. But that will be a discussion we have going forward. I think as her record starts to shape up to where we where it might be throughout the rest of the season, it will drive the conversation. So she sits at 6-6. Six and six. She was 5-0. and oh, And now she has lost five of her last six. And let's see if she can go on a run again. And get back into a playoffs. Well, back into the top of the division, um, and stay there. So I'm coming back to you in a second uh, with the playoff teams as of the start of Week 13. All right. So if the season ended today, I like to do this. I think I'm adding this as a segment every week now. Uh, the playoff teams will be as followed: Travis would be the number one seed. Jimmy would be number two. I would be number three somehow. Unbelievable where, how far I've climbed up. Alicia dropped to four. Devin at five. And Bazada at six. Those would be your playoff teams. So Travis and Jimmy would both have buys going into the playoffs. Um, it looks like I would be playing Bazada, And Alicia and Devin would play each other. But it really means nothing because in the next ten weeks a lot can change as we've seen. But just interested to see what the playoffs matchups would be would be like. Um, as a reminder, power rankings will be week 15. So in the next three weeks, start thinking about your power rankings. I'll be texting you guys about, uh, who you guys think will be, you know, where they're supposed to be. And I'm, I am very interested to see where they will be because in the next three weeks, it will be very interesting to see, um, after the results that happen, obviously where everyone thinks that who's the top five. I'm just very curious. Um, so the next week matchups that we're looking at is I'm going to be facing Jimmy. I'm at 6 and 6. So a tough test for me. Jimmy's at 7 and 5. Perrier at 6 and 6 versus Alicia 6 and 6. So big matchup for Alicia, big matchup for Perrier as well. Greg at 5 and 7 versus Devin 6 and 6. Travis 9 and 3 versus Nick 4 and 8. And Bizarre at 6 and 6 versus Karen 5 and 7. So a lot of good matchups with implications all over the map. We can be starting to separate the the contenders from the pretenders. Maybe we'll have more clear lines of who will be a seller, who will be a buyer. But I keep saying that every week. And at this point, it seems like the parity is so great in this league. But looking at even when you have the teams that are 500 and have the same record, one person's going to win, one person's going to lose. So you're going to start to separate those teams. And we'll see if, if like Greg drops to 5-8 and eight this week. Is he going to decide, be like, you know what, maybe I'm going to sell. Or maybe he sticks with it because you look at a team like Nick. I mean, how shocking would it be if, say, Nick wins this week against Travis, goes to 5-8, and eight, and Greg loses to Devin, and he's at 5-8. and eight. That means Greg and Nick have the same record after they both started the season completely different. It's just crazy how long the season is, and it's it's truly a marathon. I know it's like it's kind of hyperbole, and we've been saying it over and over again, but it's it's true. So it's it ebbs and flows. There's going to be streaks. There's going to be win streaks. There's going to be losing streaks. There's going to be injuries, there's going to be hot streaks for players, and you just have to be able to roll with the punches because I'm sure Nick is very happy to be at 4-8, and eight, but just as happy as he's to be at 4-8, and eight, Alicia has to be very upset with herself that she's now 6-6. Six and six. So we will see what happens. I'm going to be joining you in a second with the two-star pitchers, and 
I will be giving you the injury report following that. Alright, so as far as two-star pitchers go, uh, you rank them in the top 15, so some two-star pitchers to look out for. Brandon Woodruff will be pitching twice. I think he's the best option out of everybody. He'll be pitching twice against the Cubs at home and then at Pittsburgh, so two nice matchups for him. Trevor Bauer will be pitching twice, so I'll be facing that against Jimmy. Bauer at home against San Francisco and then at the Nats. Lucas Giolito for Devin at home against Minnesota and then at Detroit, so Detroit on paper should be a good matchup for him, but Detroit's been one of those teams that you know every once in a while the offensive offense decides to wake up, um, and Giolito's been inconsistent. But I think this week he turns it around and can have a good week. Granky for Alicia at home versus Baltimore at Cleveland, so two big matchups for him. Cleveland's been awful, and in Baltimore, who knows the team you're going to get? You know, there are some good pieces in that lineup, but for the most part, they're not. You know, they're one of the better matchups you, you could have as a pitcher. Freddie Peralta at home against the Cubs and then at Pittsburgh. Robbie Ray, both at home, Seattle and Tampa Bay. Trevor Rogers at Philly and at Atlanta. Charlie Morton, both at home against the Mets and against Miami. Anthony DeScalfani at the Dodgers at Arizona. Dylan Cease versus Minnesota and at Detroit. Kyle Hendricks at Milwaukee and at Cincinnati. Blake, Blake Snell at Cincinnati and at Philly, Rich Hill at Washington and at Toronto, Kenta Maeda at Chicago White Sox and at Kansas City, and Herman Marquez uh, versus Pittsburgh and versus St. Louis, both at home against uh, both those teams. So some two-star pitchers, I think, week to week, as we always note. It's not guaranteed, depending on where some of these teams place them, if they want to give them the extra day rest. But this is as it's slotted right now going throughout the whole week and seeing who will be pitching two starts this week. And it can define weeks. We see some of the matchups that define this week based off the fact you had guys pitch twice. Like Kershaw pitched twice this week, and he had a great outing this week, uh, tonight I should say, and then earlier on in the week he had another good outing. He finished the week with like 15 points. And you could take two mediocre outings and turn them into a stellar outing if you just have both of them on your matchup. And sometimes it's luck of the draw. But those are the two-star pitchers, and I'll be joining you in one second with the injury report. All right, so everyone's least favorite part of the podcast. Let's talk about injuries. It's been very prevalent prevalent this year. It's been a problem in every capacity. Um, and let's start it with my newly acquired all-star reigning AL MVP, Jose Abreu, had to leave the game after being hit by a pitch on his left knee. Um, so it was during the resumed game against the Mariners. So despite not being able to put any weight on his leg, the x-rays were negative, so fingers crossed he's okay. Right now he's day-to-day with a left knee contusion. So I expect him to be out of the lineup for quite some time, but it seems like a lot of these pitchers, a lot of these players are getting hit with pitches all year. There's been a lot of contusions. I know, like, Trey Turner missed some time with a contusion. I mean, worst-case scenario, Kevin Pillar got hit in the face with a ball. And I wonder what the correlation is with the lack of foreign substance to keep maybe the control a little bit more accurate. And I know that's some of the, that's an excuse that the pitchers are using as far as why they use it. But we may see an increase of hit-by-pitch because of the fact that you don't have the extra grip. But we will see. 
As noted by Nick earlier with his man crush on Bryce Harper, he was out of the lineup today, and that's because he was experiencing left calf tightness. Uh, so he got hit with a pitch as well on the lower on his lower leg. So he's day to day, and he's had a decent amount of injuries, and it's starting to derail what was a productive season in the beginning of the year. And he was taken with high hopes from Karen, and like it's not her fault he's been getting hurt, and he's been. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries that have to be troubling for for Karen, and I'm hoping that Bryce Harper can stay on the field because when he's on the field, he's very exciting. Um, Josh Fleming has a right right calf strain, so Fleming went three and two thirds in his mo- most recent appearance, but uh, he was taken out of the game due to injury. He was placed in the ten day IL on Saturday. Um, but the expectation is that he'll be back after the minimum. So people are saying that's similar to the uh, Corbin Burns thing I was kind of talking about earlier in the year. Workload management just to find ways to get guys in the IL to make sure that they're not uh, pitching too much. So they're finding creative ways to get them on the uh, – get them to manage their innings without saying that they're dropping them in the IL for like undisclosed reasons. and. Fleming's not someone that's rostered. He is sort of streamed. He's been passed around quite a bit. Um, I'm looking at his player history. He was added by Travis on the 3rd, dropped by Travis on the 4th, added by Nick on the 12th, dropped by Nick on the 15th, added by Jimmy on the 18th, dropped on the 19th, and right now he is a free agent. So he's one of the streamer guys. If you're looking to stream him, you won't be able to do it for at least 10 days. Danny Duffy has become a hybrid pitcher as he comes back from a forearm injury. Um, So what that means, not sure. But I'm pretty sure they're going to be using him in some capacity out of the bullpen and as a starter. So his valuable nature that Jimmy was relying on, like Danny Duffy has been very productive and sort of a – we all know who Danny Duffy the pitcher is. I feel like everyone in this league has streamed him at some point. But in fantasy, I mean, it may be, this may be very uh, valuable to the Royals as a team, but it's not really valuable for fantasy fantasy production. So he made his second relief appearance, in, at the I think, in 2016, and he hasn't relieved since. So now it looks like they're going to be filling him in with different roles. Like Matheny had said maybe they're going to make him the closer. Maybe they're going to put him in a setup role. Maybe they're going to put him in the long relief. They're going to throw him all over the bullpen, and you have to question why. Because he was pitching really well as a starter. So I'm sure there'll be more of this as time goes on. So Matheny had him lined up to make the start against the Red Sox at Fenway, his next start. But similar to like the Lazardo thing, when you start, start putting him in the bullpen after... Being a starter, it's not as productive. And I know Jimmy was hoping that after the injury, he'd come back as a productive starter. And like him coming out of the bullpen in like the third inning is not going to help anybody, unless he's striking out the world, which you know Danny Duffy doesn't do. So, sort of disappointing because he was having a great season before he got hurt. Not fantasy relevant, but I feel like I have to mention the Josh Naylor injury. I don't know if I'm. I know Karen posted in the chat. But it was gross. Um, Terry Francona announced that Naylor has an unspecified leg fracture. 
AKA it was like a broken leg. Um, but it was nasty. If you guys haven't seen it, I recommend not watching it, but it was really, really bad. Neil is probably out for the year, but again, not fantasy relevant, but I just hope the dude's okay. Um, here's another sort of update for Jimmy. He's a guy who put some stock in Dillison Lamette and similar to Duffy. He's been sort of all over the place. I guess what they're going to be doing with Duffy, but Lamette going into the season was one of the, the highlights of that. Maybe that rotation for San Diego, um, but here's the update on him. Lament experienced a slight dip in velocity and erratic control on his slider in his most recent start and was pulled after two and a third um, after giving up four runs on six hits. So Jace Tingler, who's the Padres manager, said that he's dealing with forearm fatigue and his removal was precautionary. Um, Lament had said he has trouble gripping his slider. AKA, let's go back. I mean, the theme of this whole the whole conversation we've been having is sticky stuff. Maybe MLB should adopt um, a more tackier baseball, like Japanese league, so you don't have to use any of the stuff that all these players are using. Um, this would help certainly keep the pitchers healthy, I think, in my in my opinion, and it also help this sticky stuff dilemma saga problem, whatever you want to call it. Um, Dillison, Dillison Lamette will be further evaluated to determine his status for his next scheduled start against the Phillies this weekend. Um after his evaluation, they found uh, inflammation in his forearm, and he's on a 10-day IL. But uh, we will see if he will be back uh, after the 10 days or they'll just shut him down because he's been one of those guys that's been sort of uh, just frustrating all year. Like, what is his role with the team? As I mentioned before about Steven Matz, who's on Bazada's IL, he will return to start on the 30th, which will be, what's today? Today is the 28th, so Wednesday he'll be starting against Seattle. Um, he recently threw 60 pitches of live batting practice and should be able to reach about 80 pitches. So I don't think I think that the work is on back up there. It's been a while since he pitched. Uh, but Stephen Matz is definitely a welcome addition. He was great for a little bit there. Um, I mentioned this before about Jesse Winker. He has a right hip contusion. So... He left the game on Saturday, and he got banged up on a diving attempt in the field. So he was held out of the lineup today. Um, the Reds don't think it's a big deal, and they don't expect it to be a long-term issue. But And he should be back in the lineup Monday, but something to watch because I hope nothing happens to this, uh, this magical run he's been on because he's been so great to watch and great for baseball, honestly. Uh, and then the other the last injury, and I think it's sort of like – Maybe the the final piece of the Mike Soroka thing. Jimmy had Jimmy had him stashed. I think he dropped him, but he had just shed his walking boot in an attempt to take his long rehab from the Achilles tear. Uh, sadly, the right-hander tore his surgically repaired right Achilles while simply walking into the home clubhouse. Um, and now Soroka will undergo season-ending surgery, and I think that's, pro that's all she wrote. I mean, I don't know how you return from two Achilles injuries, and it's a sad thing because Soroka was a promising young pitcher, and it's just another thing to overcome. So I hope he's okay. I hope he can get back to the major leagues, but that's just like the injury was already long enough, and he was already made it to that point, and now it's start all over again. So the injuries keep piling up, and I'm sure I'll have more uh, next week, but those are it for right now. Um, the other update, too, is Tatis came back on the field after on the podcast. I was talking about, like, the shoulder may be finally barking enough for Tatis to be sat for another 10-day IL stint. I was wrong. He was back in the lineup next week, or the week after, I should say, or this week. 
and he is absolutely killing the ball. So I continue to be wrong on Fernando Tatis Jr. So I'm glad, though. Obviously, I'm very glad, and I know people probably think I'm lying when I say that, but I I am glad that he's okay because he's great for baseball, and I I am a baseball fan, and I am a Fernando Tatis Jr. fan. I just didn't want that injury headache on my roster, and I still feel like I made the right decision, even though Tatis continues to uh, make me have remorse for trading him every time I watch him play, but Trey Turner is uh, quietly becoming one of my favorite players to watch in baseball. So that's it for the injury report. Um, And then I'm going to come back to you with a little bit of a wrap-up, a little bit update about what the All-Star Game plans are in one second. Alright, well that's going to do it for here on the Kamish Wrap-Up Show. I'd like to thank Nick for joining me for that extended segment. That was, honestly, I think one of my favorite segments that I've done so far. Um, Nick, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And I think it's awesome that you've come on when you've been really bad and really low as far as the standings go. And at this point, you're on a three-game winning streak. So the main thing with him is he's been consistent. He's showing up, he's having conversations, and he's enjoying the league uh, despite the frustrations that come with losing. Um, if anyone else would like to come on here and have a conversation, I always post the link in there, and you guys are more than welcome to come in the Zoom thing, and I'll make time to have you guys in there. I record the segments on Zoom, and then I import them into the Anchor app, but then when I'm doing this part of the podcast, I just do it on Anchor. This way there's no sort of connection issues or no uh, issues with like my voice coming in and out. Sometimes that's an issue when I do it by myself. But yeah, and again, if you guys, like I told Nick today, I was half joking for having him record a segment at the game, but you guys can ultimately do that. I know that Spotify has a a feature now too that we can work on, but for right now I use Anchor and you guys can record a segment and send it to me in email and I can just import it. So I know in the past Devin's done before we kind of had the technology or the capability of figuring out how to get both of us on a recording at the same time before zoom became like such second nature to us uh, he recorded a segment like and i just imported it in there so if you guys ever have anything to say but you don't want to come on here and have a conversation but you want to have a quick segment with yourself or a quick voice note i'll just include it in here and i will definitely put it in here for you guys so let me know i'm always open to any conversation that you guys want to have whether it be about crunchy peanut butter or the sleeveless tank top jerseys, which Nick somehow likes, aliens, uh, or just George Springer's whereabouts about where where he's at in this in this world. Um, but I do appreciate you guys listening to this. And oh yeah, the All Star Game. We're going to be going to Howard's. I sent the invite in the in the group chat, uh, hoping to get there sort of early. It doesn't get too crowded for the All Star Game. Um, we'll get some food and then we'll hang out and have some beers and stuff at the All Star Game. Uh, at, at Howard's, I've got some good food. If you haven't been there, I'm pretty sure everyone's been there at this point. Um, and I understand if, you know, at this point you guys can't make it for whatever reason. But that's where the trade talk is going to happen. There will be other opportunities, obviously, to text people and, and figure out other ways to get the trades done. But there's no other environment where you're going to have a couple beers in you. You're going to have teams that need to make trades all in the same room at the same time. It's like our version of the winter meeting. So I, I completely suggest that you find your find your way there. Uh, the All-Star Game is a tradition that we weren't able to do last year because they didn't have the All-Star Game last year. 
So I'm excited to have it back in action. It's one of my favorite things of the summer. It's a highlight of the summer for me, honestly. So that, believe it or not, that's in two weeks. So 4th of July is this Sunday. As I mentioned to Nick, I probably will be recording the podcast on Monday the 5th instead of Sunday. I don't think I'll have the opportunity to record Sunday. So keep that in mind if you guys are home on that Monday, if you'd like to hop on here and have a conversation. Devin and I will be doing the Power Rankings, the third edition of the Power Rankings episode uh, in, I think, two weeks. It will be week 15. So start thinking about where you're going to be placing the teams around you. There's a lot going on. So we only have 10 weeks left of the season. We're not quite in the home stretch, but we're close. Um, it's been a long, fun season. There's been a lot of injuries. There's been a lot of conversation to be had about whatever's going on in baseball, whether it be the sticky stuff, whether it be the injuries, whether it be Tatis, whether it be the surprising nature of the San Francisco Giants. It's a never-ending avalanche of conversation that can be had about baseball, and it's been fun. So I appreciate you guys giving me this outlet that I can get all my baseball ramblings out and you guys even entertaining listening to because I really appreciate that. I appreciate the feedback too. Um, But again... I look forward to the rest of the season, and good luck the rest of the way. Uh, These six and six teams have to find a way to separate each other eventually. And we will crown a champion at some point this year, and I'm curious who it will be. But until then, I am your commissioner, and I'm out.